On this episode of the Star Wars Time Show, Matt and Nick will revisit their Mando Season 3 once in predictions to see how far off or close they were to what fans got. After that, they'll officially put S3 to bed by recapping its top moments. We're looking at you, Lizzo and Jack Black. They'll then shift gears to the Star Wars movie arena in the new Ray movie, which apparently has already changed drastically from when Damon Lindelof initially pitched it. Of course, the show will end with the question of the week segment and the latest round of top five Star Wars fan artist features. Punch a chili. Yub nub and a happy Tuesday to you all. And I'm happy, Nick. You know why I'm happy? I think for the first time since we've gone live stream prime time, as they call it, good old Tones is here to to listen for a little bit. You know, it's it's just never feels like a live stream without Tones here, but he's here today and apparently it's his birthday. So happy birthday to the Tones. Kick-ass gift from your, your new lady in life. She gets you. I'd go ahead and, and and lock that one up, buddy. But good to see you. We're here to do something, right? I mean, it, it, this is a... <laughs> yeah, we talked about this last week, Nick. This is the first time literally in 2023 that we did not have a new episode of Star Wars to break down, take a deep dive into and discuss, spin our wheels and all that fun stuff. But we, we, we've done it before. You know, we yeah. are the masters of talking about nothing, when it comes to Star Wars, <laughs> that's that's why our mantra is there's always time for Star Wars time because we truly believe that. So we do have some content planned for today. We actually have segments. We can't just rely on new Star Wars content, although we kind of are because we're going to we're basically putting Mandalorian season three to bed officially SWTS style today. We're going to revisit our February predictions, see how well or not well we did. And then we're going to recap some of the best moments from the Mandalorian season three. Um, so, Hey, we've got some content for you. It's probably not going to be the, the two and a half, three hour shows that you've become accustomed to during new star Wars run of 2023, but we'll try to oblige. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll do <sighs> as much as we can with what we got. That's right. So, you know what that means, though? We can return to a little bit of pop culture talk. We, we've had to cut that the last few weeks because of time constraints. And Nick and I have just kind of gone balls deep into the latest episodes of Mandalorian. Got really gabby, if you will. Uh, but it, we've got some pop culture nuggets to share with you before we get into the nitty gritty of the Mandalorian season three and a an interesting anecdote about the new Jedi Order movie that came out this week. So, hey. There's always time. So let's get down to it. But first, Sisu. And I'm not talking about the dragon from Raya. I'm talking about the latest movie from Finland's cinematic powerhouse of whoever. It's a Finnish movie. I don't really know any of the actors or the director, but it made it here to the States. I checked it out last week. And if you're on the live stream which we do every Tuesday, 5 p. East on YouTube, youtube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. Um, 
you can see the graphic of Sisu. And if you're looking at the graphic, you're like, is this, is this like Mad Max inspired? And I'm going to say no, but it has that feel. So Sisu Nick is set at the end of World War II in Finland as the Russians and Finns are uh, you know, you know, pushing the Nazis out of the country and the Nazis are taking their scorched earth approach on their withdrawal. And uh, it focuses on a prospector who has come across some gold and, and, and then who crosses the Nazis leaving. And that's where things kind of go sideways for the Nazis. So uh, it, it's best described as Mad Max meets John Wick meets Inglorious Bastards. So if you enjoy watching Nazis get fucked up, you'll love this movie. If you enjoy over-the-top action and gore, you're going to love this movie. If you like high art cinema, you're going to like this movie. It's, it's just very well done. It, it is, um, it's nice and short, too, so it, there's no bullshit, Nick. It's not John Wick 4 clocking in at three hours having 45-minute-long action sequences. It's nice and tight. You got a good little story. Nice little ending, fantastic action, over the top. I mean, don't get me wrong. This shit makes John Wick look like it's somewhat rooted in real life, but it works. Go check it out. I mean, it's something you probably could wait for home release, but if you're looking for a movie this week that doesn't start with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Sisu is a great bet. And it seems, Nick, I don't know if you saw this news, uh, but Return of the Jedi added another $5.2 million to its um, gross thanks to the limited release this past weekend for its 40th anniversary. So I OT Star Wars can still yeah. rack up the dough. And it was only on, I think, Nick, 457 screens. So that that's a pretty damn good haul yeah, for a 40-year-old movie. Uh, re-releasing. I mean, I, I've seen them all in theaters thanks to drive-ins in Austin where you can like, well, they'll just have like events where it's like, Oh, drive in and see the star Wars trilogy or drive in and see like old classic movies and stuff like that. So I've, I've technically seen all of the star Wars movies in theaters at this point. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, I, I waffled like last week it was Sisu or ROTJ. And obviously, you know, which one I went with and don't please do not rescind my star Wars fanboy card. Okay. There, there's reasons for this. I mean, I, I have seen Return of the Jedi probably 500 times. Uh, just mo- most recently watched it this December with the uh, holiday full Star Wars rewatch. And I've been wanting to see Sisu for a, a minute here. Ever since I saw the trailer, the Red Band trailer, I was just like, holy shit. This movie speaks my language. So um, I passed on it. The little one and I had Return of the Jedi booked yesterday. You'll love this, Nick. This is like little kid logic here. I'm like, Charlie, mom's out of town. Jim's canceled. Let's go catch a flick. Return of the Jedi. We can see it on the big screen. She's like, yeah, let's do it. So I -hmm. I booked the, the screening. I'm like, you know what? We'll even eat dinner there. I had meals to be delivered to the seat. And then we're talking. She's like, oh, man, Daddy, I can't wait to see this new movie, Ray and the Jedi Order. I'm like, whoa, 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 Return of the Jedi, the one with the Rancor and, and, and Luke and Darth Vader and the Emperor going down the pit. She's like, oh, 
Yeah, we've seen that one a lot. I I would rather go see Super Mario Brothers again. So I, I had to cancel and reshuffle. So you, you always got to be clear with the little ones. They don't quite still understand Return of the Jedi is not the new Jedi Order movie coming out. God knows when, if it'll even get made. You know what I mean? So, But Sisu won out, and it was well worth it. Check it out. Uh, I don't know if you give a fuck, but on Rotten Tomatoes, I think it's clocking like in the high 90s. It's, it's top notch. I mean, it's not just like gore for gore. It's, it's great. And it's Nazis getting fucked up, so two thumbs up. All right. Um, and the other thing, you know, Nick, he was out partying all weekend, so I don't think he has many pop culture things to share unless he learned some new, you know, stripper pole dances or, or, or stuff like that. Uh, but the other thing to talk about that, that's been, you know, quite relevant for us Star Wars fans is the release of Jedi Survivor. Okay. Uh, you know here, you know our opinion of the of the Jedi whatever franchise from Respawn. We don't hate it. We also aren't cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over. You know, I you know Nick is probably what like a seventy seven out of five, eight out of ten type of deal for the first game. It was it was serviceable. I think we all looked at it as better than it originally was because we had gone so long without having a Star Wars game that didn't start with battle and end with front. Uh, but to me, Cal Kestis never, you know, resonated with me. He's Mr. Milktoast over here. Really, every character in the game outside the bad guys, you know, the second sister invader, they're kind of like, Bleh, who cares? Mantis crew who gives a shit. The Mantis who gives a shit. Seer who gives a shit. You know, it's like, whatever. So we knew the sequel's coming out and we were both like, eh, yeah, Star Wars, get it, <laughs> play at some point. Uh, so I snagged it, uh, grabbed it last Friday, put some time in, did stream because people in Discord wanted, wanted me to do that. No one came and watched. So fuck all you guys. Uh, but Nick, I have to say about five, six hours in, for me, someone that wasn't like a Cal super fan or just a super fan of the franchise, the sequel is noticeably better. Now, I'm not talking about the PC version, which I've heard is a fucking tire fire at this point in time. I'm on Series X, so so far, so good. But to me, Nick, what really stands out as, as being improved is, is the story this time is somewhat engaging, okay? Yes. I, I, it's, it's kind of a, a cold open where you're just kind of thrust into a situation and you kind of see things play out, and then it, it starts to expand into the the greater narrative. But more importantly, Mister Milk Toast himself is growing on me. I'll be the first one to admit it. Cal Kestis isn't as lame as he was in Fallen Order. I don't know if it's because of his five years of growth, being out there fucking with the Empire. Who knows? But he just everything about the game, Nick, feels like it's it just has more personality than Fallen Order. Does that make sense? Like That's it just, good, yeah. It feels more lived in. They, they, they feel more like Star Wars characters. It feels more Star Wars-y, if that's even a word or, or an adjective. Um, so I'm digging it. I, I really am digging it. I'm not going to lie, Nick. It's something where I, I find myself every day like, hey, I want to go play Survivor. Hey, I want to go play Survivor. Hey, I probably should stop playing Survivor and take care of my kid or go to bed. You know what I mean? So it's got that, that, that grasp. But what I will tell you, 
is it still has some fucking problems that hold it back from being excellent or, you know, the greatest Star Wars game and franchise of all time. And sadly, it's the fucking combat. <laughs> I, I just, dude, and listen, you know, you guys can have fun with, uh, he's a pussy, doesn't want the challenge. That, 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 that has nothing to do with it. I still firmly believe that a Star Wars game starring a Jedi should not fucking be Souls-like. It's, it, 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 it makes no sense. And here's the deal. Don't, don't be like, oh, the combat's too tough for him. It's fucking the X button in LB and maybe Y, okay? So it's nothing about, it's not tough. The inputs aren't hard. I'd argue Hogwarts Legacy had a more complex control system than Jedi Survivor. You know, Nick, sometimes in Hogwarts, you get in a battle and you're like, trigger this, switch to that spell slot, bing, bang, boom, flip, 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 flip. You know, you really had to manage your fucking power set. Yeah. Here, Jedi Survivor, it still mostly is spam, 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 try to block, spam, spam, spam. And here's the deal. I still don't think they have the parry counter system correct for a lightsaber. Cal Kestis can still get fucking owned by, like, these Star Wars rabbit pigs. (laughs) Just fucking random animals can charge a motherfucker and take out half his health. And he can't even block it. Then, scout troopers are are still a challenge for a Jedi with the Force and a lightsaber. That shit makes no sense to me. If you want to challenge me, do it with mini bosses and bosses. Not fucking common fodder, alright? It's stupid. It's fucking dumb that Cal Kestis dies over and over against a big-ass fucking Triceratops-looking thing. Or, or a group of scout troopers that have shields that apparently can block lightsabers. <laughs> yeah. it, it, Nick, it's still there. It's not so much the, the lumbering bullshit. Again, I, I hate to compare it to Hogwarts, but to me, as Nick and I expressed on the show, Hogwarts damn near perfected everything you could ever want for in a video game that, that, that's trying to give you the experience from another franchise that you know and love from a different medium such as books or film. That's all we want. In Jedi Survivor, I still feel like I'm fighting the controls to become the Jedi that I know Cal can be. And, and I just want a better indicate, when should I parry? Is it when he's literally hitting me or when he's winding up? You know, in Hogwarts, Nick, you'd get like a visual indicator. Even if they were off screen, you couldn't see him. That's the thing in Survivor. You could have a guy that's not even in your field of view coming up and fucking punching you in the back of the head and completely throwing you off balance, staggering you, and then you become a punching bag for fucking stormtroopers and scout troopers. Okay? It's just the combat, I'm sorry. If anyone's telling you, like, oh, this is the best lightsaber combat, and they're fucking drunk, or they're young and stupid, okay? It is not good. The combat is still piss poor, in my opinion. It's the worst thing about the game, outside of gripe number two, which carries over from the first one, and that's the fucking map and how you navigate this motherfucker. Hogwarts Legacy, right, Nick? Big fucking map. Here's a marker, here's a marker, here's a marker, here's a marker, here's a marker. These are all things you can do if you want to. Here's how you get to them. Not in fucking Jedi Survivor. Here's your 3D hollow map that you have to somehow fucking figure out in the third dimension. 
Oh, am I on this level or this level? Is that on this level or this level? Oh, oh there's a marker, but do I have to go this way? Oh, that, that door's red. Maybe I go this way. Oh, there's another red door. I, I just don't get, Nick, why Respawn just won't use systems that work for big games like this. Like, give me a map that makes sense. Give me a map where I can put a fucking marker to and I'll get a just a little fucking tracker to follow. You fucking purists, they're like, oh, games are only good if the UI is completely vacant. Fuck off. Fuck off. All right? Respawn or whoever's like, yeah, we want our UI to be as clean as possible. Eat dicks. All right? All I want is a little fucking marker that I can place on a map that then shows me if I keep walking north, I'm going to eventually get to where I need to be. Is that too much to ask, Nick? (laughs) I mean, it's... They've definitely committed. It seems like they've committed to just making this kind of like a, a, a Jedi Souls game. But um, that's, that's a, yeah, I mean, the save system's still the same way. If you save, guess what? All the fucking enemies are coming back. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the thing is, it's just like that's what people like. Like people like that stuff now. And I and like fuck those people. What, what's wrong well, with people? Like, why? I don't well, know. At, like, where, it's why like if it, Nick, if it was Ring. an actual challenge, like if I felt it was an actual challenge and it wasn't just like random pairing encountering, okay. But I'm telling you, dude, I can sit there and hold block, block shit, and I'll still go back. Like you have to wear down a fucking scout trooper stamina, stamina just to attack up oh! a scout trooper. Yeah, I mean, you know what I, I mean? Like, like, give me that challenge with a fucking boss. OK, that makes sense. We're talking about fucking bucket heads and, and, and little beasts like these little fucking blue and white things. I know you motherfuckers have seen them. They'll charge your ass, knock you over, and then you're half dead. Yeah, I may play the game eventually. I like I'm not dedicated to buying it, honestly. It's just, <laughs> Dude, just wait, I... wait until it's free on Game Pass. But here, here's the sad thing. And Connor's not wrong. Here, I'll pop up his, his, his comment here. He's not wrong. Fuck Souls games, okay? But, but how, does a, how does Souls-like translate to a, a game about a fucking Jedi? How? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like, like, like make the Mandalorian a fucking Souls game. That makes more sense because he's more of a melee shooter type of guy. We're talking about fucking space wizards. Not it, I, look, I, I agree with you guys, but it is it's purely based off of what people want now. And people buy these Souls games like crazy. And God, they're man. really I there hasn't been sounding like old, a, but. But fuck this young, is it the young generation of gamers or is it people my age? Like I, who the fuck wants to get upset at games in your forties? I mean, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people that like are like probably around my age really enjoy the Souls games. So I don't know. I mean, look, I don't really play Souls games. I bought Elden Ring and I played a little bit of it and I kind of got bored with it because it wasn't (laughs) like really engaging in terms of like a story to me. Yeah, but hey, that's that's what is moving the needle in terms of sales now is is those types of games and those types yeah. of combat experiences. So, what I don't can know, I man. say? Like, 
like I, I remember like I used to love being challenged in a game, you know, veteran Call of Duty runs, stuff like that. That to me felt like a challenge. The Souls genre and Jedi Survivor, it, it seems like more of a challenge of how soon do you want to have a stroke? You know what I mean? That, that's not a fun gaming challenge to me. So there have been times, and I'm really trying, my friends, and go ahead and laugh. I'm at least trying Jedi, Jedi Survivor to get through it on Jedi Knight, which is, would equate to normal difficulty. But it's getting very close, my friend, where I'm just going to drop that bitch down to dummy so I can just enjoy the game because I, I know my rage right now is not translating to this game makes Matt happy. But it actually does. I really am enjoying my six hours so far with Survivor. And the reason I'm not deeper in is because if you're a loyal listener to the show, good for you. If not, go to hell. But I've got like home improvement hell going on right now. So all last Saturday, I was working on a deck that continued into Sunday. And now we, we got to start doing some floors and shit. So I haven't quite had the time to sink it in. But Nick, if I think I did, I think I probably would have logged 15 to 20 hours, maybe getting close to complete because I, I really enjoy Jedi Survivor. I just can't fucking stand the combat still. And the map is atrocious. Like, just just make it easy for me to go wander and find stuff to where I feel like I'm not going to get lost and then lose my objective and just make me feel like a goddamn Jedi. <laughs> when I'm fighting bucketheads and and little beasts, like okay, if it's a big monster, sure, I probably should be a little more cautious and 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 plan my attacks and be patient. But Nick, I'm telling you, I don't even know what the fuck these things are called, but I, I fucking hate their guts. They're like these little, <laughs> they're like they're like rabbit pigs, and and they'll they'll charge you. <laughs> and literally, if you're not ready to just whack them down in one kill, like one hits you from off screen, they will stagger you. The next one will come in, hit you, take away half your health, and before you know it, you got to use a stim pack and then start considering if you want to go back to the goddamn save and respawn everything. Yay! <laughs> Hey, listen, I love, I really do enjoy the game. That's the, that's the fun part of listening to someone like me who's kind of nuts. Cause not only can I sit there and freak out for a little bit over the gameplay, I can still calm down and tell you that I do enjoy it. I just, I'm never going to understand the souls mechanics in a game about a Jedi who should be light, fast, quick, precise. I've never seen a Jedi have to counter and parry stormtroopers. It's fucking stupid. It's dumb as shit. I don't care if they have fucking stun batons and shields. We're talking foot soldiers, grunts, cannon fodder. They're not skilled warriors. If they're skilled warriors, they'd be fucking Imperial Guards or something, for Christ's sake. Okay? So, here we go. Yeah, be mad. I'm with you, man. I'm, in, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I am immersed in the story, which first and foremost, Nick, is the most important thing to me when it comes to video games these days, in particular Star Wars video games. So the fact that Survivor has an intriguing story or one that is keeping me coming back, even with the, the shitbag combat, should speak volumes. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, depending on when you tuned into this little mini impression review of Jedi Survivor, you either think it's the worst game I ever played 
or you understand that I actually quite enjoy it and would recommend it, believe it or not, uh, because most people aren't as insane as I am and they'll just deal with the shitty gameplay and somehow justify that it makes sense. Um, and it doesn't. I, I Listen, those of you that beat these games, good for you. I don't know if it proves you have skill as a gamer or that you just have the patience of Jesus Christ himself. It's not for me. And, and I don't want it in Star Wars, especially a game about a fucking Force user. All right. <laughs> I mean, Force Unleashed, Jedi Academy. Those are fucking games that use proper combat for a Force user. Enough said. Eventually, <sighs> when it goes on sale, I might pick it up. Uh, there's nothing that's like screaming to me that I need to play this game immediately right now. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I was out when it was released um, and I know it's well reviewed, but I just like I like I get like when when there's a game that I want to play that's coming out, I know that I want to play it and I'll get it. But like this one, I'm just like, I'll play it when I play it. Like, I don't feel like I'm missing anything in the Star Wars universe for not playing it. Um so, yeah, I mean, for Christ's sake, you can just go watch all the spoiler videos anyways, like if you really want to get the story. So. Um, I, I think you're, I think you'll be all right. Like if you're playing something right now that makes you smile, I would stick with it. Um, because while this is seemingly having a good story, the characters are improved, obviously the visuals and, and everything is better, but the fucking combat map still suck balls. All right. And there's so many, there, there's like so many little games to be playing right now. I mean, I, I still want to play the, the most recent God of War, that high on life is a fucking hoot. Have you even booted that up on game, game pass? No, I haven't turned my Xbox on in okay. months. Are you still <laughs> paying? Are, are you, are you being a dickhead and just paying oh, for game I got pass? Two, two years of game pass for free okay. when I bought All the right. thing. So I don't know right. when that runs out because I can't remember when I bought it. But whenever it I'm, runs I'm out, pretty I, sure I, it's it's out. Like I think it was out this this December, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, whenever the 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 two years that I paid for when I bought the thing runs out, then I will not be paying for it again. Um, yeah, I mean, because I don't really like play Xbox. Like I have it, but I don't really use it. So I'm probably like it's sitting on my <laughs> shelf now, and it's it'll get packed into a box pretty soon when I. Uh, that, that's pretty much we're the opposite i mean that that's my ps5 outside of hogwarts and that's only because my buddy at sony sent me a key for the ps5 i mean but. if you believe what microsoft's saying they're going to shut down the whole xbox division because this activision deal is not going to go through i mean if, well, they, if they're really in that bad of a spot then they have mismanaged the ownership of the xbox license for decades it seems yeah yeah no i'm um like, I'm not as into the gaming scene as I used to, but y y it's pretty clear that Xbox leadership has always kind of struggled with that product Yeah, for no I mean, reason. Like, it, like, the Xbox is a fantastic product. That they, they had the better online infrastructure during the 360 era. They really could have captured that fucking market space but but sony brass somehow continued to get the better first party ip i think the it's better just, exclusives and it's international it too like like ps5 is is more popular internationally than xbox is and i think that that's where they really struggle is like yeah you can have like a really popular console in america but like 
if you don't have a popular console in other yeah, regions, you're just it's not the games, gonna... man. I mean, really, really beyond the 360 era, Sony has stuck their PP into the Xbox's mouth when it comes to games. And that, that plain and simple, that's what it is. You know, fanboys on either side of the spectrum can sit there and honk their tits over hardware capabilities. For the most part, they're identical machines. You know, the, the, the human eye is not really going to be able to tell the difference of a game on PS5 I mean, versus a Series it, X. Yeah, it's, just it, so. it's software. Like, so, like Sony has just kicked Microsoft's ass purely on software. And Nick's, Nick's right. Like the Microsoft's idea was, well, let's just keep buying up all these fucking publishers then. And that's how we'll get our software. And uh, the, the UK essentially gave him a big fuck you last week with that. So... Who knows? But that would suck because I, I, I've been an Xbox guy since since day one. It is my preferred platform, but I'm also not a lunatic that gets into the old uh, fanboyism when it comes to consoles. I have them all. I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that, and I will continue to do that throughout life because A, I'm a jerk off and always have to have the latest and greatest, and B, you just never know when when one of these publishers might actually get a game that has to be played on a specific console. So there you go. All right. Some pop culture talk for you. Now it's time to get into our Mandalorian Season 3 retrospective, as they call it. If we had like some theme music, it would be playing right now. I guess we'll just have uh, Chewy or somebody kick us into it. Thanks, Chewy. <laughs> All right. That, okay. Thanks, big guy. You can stop. So, if you remember, if you're if you're new here, what we what we did or what we like to do, and we'll do it again for Ahsoka, is we like to before a new Star Wars season or show debuts, we like to go through and express our desires, you know, things we would like to see. And then after that, we go in and then predict what we think we will see. So we did that back in, it uh, looks like February 21 for our once for Mandalorian season three, and then February 28 for our predictions. So because we're, we're never going to hide behind anything. And just as much as we love applauding ourselves for prediction wins, we're also okay shitting on ourselves for fails, all right? So that is the purpose of this segment. Okay, Nick, so I have uh, just like a graphic up on the screen. I, I think it's still current in Slack if you need the reference here. But we'll start with our once. We'll go through them one by one and kind of maybe talk a little bit on how we failed or, or how we won. And we'll see where things go. So our first want... For The Mandalorian Season 3 was learn more about Din's past with Death Watch. Well, I think we can go ahead and say that was a, a fail. Yep, didn't get uh, any of that. <laughs> the, only, like, the only way we could maybe save a little bit of face on that is when the armor in Episode 7 was like, uh, yeah, Death Watch no longer exists. It's scattered. <laughs> but yeah, that, it had that, nothing that, yeah. to do with Din. So... Um, it's a fail outside. Uh, hold on, Nick. I, I, I can almost talk this back into a win. We did learn at the very end that Din's real name probably isn't Din. And yeah. that probably came through his past with Death Watch. So I'm changing it. We actually did hit a win here. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Shook a win Next, out of that one. Yeah. This see, one's we can, a hard, I can, this one's a yeah, hard we really, L. we really fucked this one, but learn who the armor actually is, i.e. is she Rook Cast or someone new? Well, we don't, we still There's don't still know shit. Just a helmeted 
somebody right. who eventually, the, I mean, I assume at some point we're going to find out who this person is. Um, at, I mean, maybe season four, but at this point it's, it's gotten to the, it's, it's gotten to the point to where like, does it really matter if they just keep her as like some sort of like go between, then does it really even matter who she is? I, I think, I honestly think you may be on to something. Cause you know, listen, we read these interviews from the actors and actresses and, there was a few from Emily this year and, and she was like, yeah, that John and Dave, they have not given me any ins that I don't have a character name. I don't have a, a history to kind of uh, look back on and, and formulate my performance. They just, you know, they tell me a few things about the script and I just kind of bring the character to life. And I'm, I'm honestly, Nick, I'm starting to believe her. I, I am starting to believe that the armor at this point in time may not truly have an identity like Nick was speculating right there. Maybe she does just always stay as the armorer, the detached, wise, not even leader anymore of the Children of the Watch. Yeah. It's it's surprising to me that they haven't made a move to to reveal who she is given the fact that that she's been so heavily involved since season 1 yeah. and that we're now like in a we're now in a world where Mandalore has, is is in the beginning of being reestablished and nobody knows who this like I don't even think that the people within her own covert know who she is like Correct. that that I mean that's to the degree of of like you know of anonymity this person is like the only person that that may have known is now dead with with Vizsla with Paz Vizsla like he's he's dead so yeah I mean I don't know I I still think that there's a good possibility that she can be Rook Cass and that there's a good possibility that she may be like a long-term spy within the Mandalorians because we still boy super sleeper cells yeah I mean super sleeper cell because it's, you know, if if she's a spy for Thrawn, then why would she reveal herself when Thrawn isn't back into the galaxy yet? Blah, blah, yeah. blah, all these different things. But I mean, I, I, for for the time being, moving forward, I'm treating her as her name is the armorer and that's it. <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. And, it sounds and, good. <laughs> it works you know, for there, me. There's, <laughs> there's no other reason for me to, to believe that she is somebody else yet until they actually like, I don't, and, and realistically, I don't even think that they've, that they've like teased that she could be a mole, that she could be somebody else. Like the, the fandom and everybody else and us in particular have like talked ourselves into believing that she is somebody that she has not hinted at herself being. So, I mean, <laughs> You know, uh, I think it's just a sickness of being a Star Wars fan. It's like everybody always has to be somebody. Everybody's got to be connected to somebody else. Or, yeah. So, well, so. Nick, we did. We at least put or someone new. So, yeah. you know, we weren't going fully down that trap, but you are right. We always want somebody to be somebody that has existed before. And, and I don't think it matters at this point. Like the, the, the yeah. big Mandalorian plot line has kind of been taken care of through season three now. They've. Bo's redeemed. They're all united and they've retaken their planet. So, you know, unless uh, Bo and, and the armor go out for coffee and really want to have a heart to heart, it's not that big of a thing anymore. You know, shit's yeah. been kind of resolved. So like Nick said, it's not even 
an important narrative note at this stage outside of us fans just <laughs> dying to know, like, is it somebody? Were we right? Was she in the Clone Wars? And uh, that may never happen. Okay, here comes another fail. Introduction of Sabine Wren. And That's just a complete miss. Complete miss. And if you think about it, with hindsight, the, the, the narrative never would never made real sense for her to be involved. Uh, the way the season played out, it just kind of like a Boba Fett cameo. It just never really made sense. Uh, Sabine would have made way more sense than Boba because she is pure Mandalorian and, and yeah. has definitely been mixed up in their culture. But how she would have got kind of wrenched in, it, it just it didn't happen. I mean, it, 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 it made sense as a want. Guess what? I think we predicted it too, but it failed. Yeah, I, I think on this one, there was a lot of expectation because of her lineage, you know, like that was something that we even talked about leading up to the final two episodes of, of Mando season three was like, well, she's a Wren and, and the Wrens have deep lineage to Mandalore and, and, and their family ties and everything like that. And even like the the connection between Bo-Katan and Ursa Wren, her mother, and like, could, could Bo reach out to Sabine in their time of need when they're going to take back the, the planet of Mandalore. But it seems like at this point, Sabine has almost completely severed ties with her Mandalorian roots. Um, you know, she is, she's way more focused on the search for Ezra for, um, you know, everything that the, the epilogue of star Wars rebels yeah. had, had led us to. And even though I still think it would have made sense for her to, to be included in the Mandalorian finale. Um, well, especially it, it, through, through Bo-Katan. I mean, her exactly. and Bo have a direct link in Rebels. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, um, I can see why they held it off. You know, they, they really want to make Sabine's journey the one that was teased in, in the Rebels epilogue and, and, and keep her yep. true to that. Um, so and it does make sense, Nick, because if I go back to season four, I mean, that's where she kind of makes peace with the tragedy she left on Mandalore via the weapon yeah. and, and turns over her darksaber to Bo and kind of exactly. like Nick said, doesn't necessarily wash herself of her people, but she commits to the Rebel Alliance versus what the Mandalorians were trying to do on Mandalore during Imperial reign. Yeah, so... Um, even though it would have been cool, you know, it, it's cool to know that she is going to play a big part in the Ahsoka series. It's coming up in August and that we'll get to see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of Sabine on, on screen with her Phoenix squadron compadres. So, um, miss on our part, but still, I think that, that in terms of like a speculative desire, I feel like sense. that one, it wasn't that crazy. One, definitely. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, it wasn't crazy. We got one from Tone here. It, you know, Tones was at celebration with his son and they, they had a meet and greet with Katie and, and asked her if, if Mando would be in Ahsoka and she said yes immediately. But you got there. She told you something else Tones <laughs> that never played out either. So, you know, maybe, maybe the lovely Miss Sackhoff was, was it's, just, you know, trying to tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, but, we'll see. you know, we'll I, see. I, I could see he is, even though he's been 
again, he's he's back on the on the, not on the lamb, but he's free to do what he pleases. So I guess that opens him up. And and if Ahsoka is kind of nudging the New Republic for some help, maybe they bring him in that yeah. way. I, I Plus, do he, think he is that, still kind of the glue. I mean, he is yeah. the guy that started the Mando verse. So yeah, I, I do think that that him being in Ahsoka is 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 likely to happen because, like you said, like. He is kind of the thread that ties all of these these different shows together. I mean, like he didn't need well, to even be Bo in could of- do that now, right, Nick? Like Bo, yeah, if she I mean, pops up, she she would kind of be that that yeah. glue. You know, I mean, Bo has strong ties to Ahsoka from uh, Clone Wars. How yeah, she has strong ties to uh, Sabine Wren. I, like we were just saying, so like it would make sense for Bo to show up in that show too. But it's just like, how much do you really want to intermingle? Then you're starting to get to like, well, how much do you want these characters to start interacting with each other within different shows before you have this big kind of convergence event that we know is coming with the with the Dave Filoni movie? Um, if if anything, what is what would be more likely is that Din is going to be there with Grogu because they they're the in between players. There was no reason for Din to be in the Book of Boba Fett other than the fact that Filoni told us, well. Book of Boba Fett's really just Mandalorian season 2.5. You could have had the whole Book of Boba Fett show without Din being involved at all. You know, like realistically, he didn't need to be in that show, but he was. So um, it's it's highly likely that we'll see Din because like you said, he's it seems like he's just got a shitload of free time now. You know? Yeah. Bo- just hanging Bo- out. Maybe, maybe yeah. Carson sends him sends him over to, to check something out. Yeah. So. But if if if. If Jaren isn't in Ahsoka, big deal. I, yeah, I, I mean, I every episode was written by Dave. That that came out last week. I mean, it's literally written by Dave, written by Dave, written by Dave, written by Dave. All eight of them. Uh, so if he doesn't show up, I don't think it's going to be a big deal because I I think there's a pretty intense story that is about to be woven. Or according to some Reddit commenters, oh great, so just a cartoon in live action because Dave's writing everything. Can't please, can't please people nowadays. Yeah, no, everyone's everyone's a critic. All right, next one here, Nick. I'm gonna say we we pretty much hit this one right yeah, on the head. Is, Gideon's grand plan, and does it involve Thrawn? I'm gonna say yes, even though Gideon in the back of his head was saying no to Thrawn. But we learned yeah. through the Shadow Council, well, also through Gideon himself, we we learned his grand plan, which was to create force sensitive clones of himself and put him in dark trooper 4.0 suits and uh, we did know through the shadow council that they have plans for thrawn so nick yeah. i think this is a complete yeah. hit it's a it this is a hard win i mean who knows if there is more to gideon uh in in season four i think we all believe that that what we saw at the end of mando season three is definitely not the end of gideon um but we do now have a beat on his master plan and that kind of goes all the way back to the beginning of season one. You know, yep. why do people, you know, why did the client want the baby? Why did the client want Grogu? Well, we find out in season one that there's something to do with cloning through um, you know, Pershing. Pershing and and we saw the, the, the Camino and Ty there. And now we kind of have that thread closed out. Well, they wanted to have Grogu because... Gideon is working on cloning tech for himself. Does that extend all the way to Exegol and uh, with 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 Palpatine? Yet to be seen, but that could be uncovered in future seasons of The Mandalorian. 
But as for Gideon's grand plan, I feel like we do have like a pretty oh, yeah. solid idea. We we got the whole thing. I mean, he was trying to enact it there in, in the Mandalorian cave until he said the wrong words about their trinkets, and then they worked together and and kicked his clone ass. So yeah, and, and hey, yeah, that, I mean that, the, that's a win for us. Yeah, that's that's a win. The Thrawn side of it, obviously, that is coming. We know that's coming. Gideon's plan does not seem to involve Thrawn. He was he was more of like, well. Yeah, Thrawn, sure, Thrawn's out there, but guess what? I'm here now, right. and I'm yeah, like, doing my like shit. On, on paper, the Shadow Council's mission statement is bring back Thrawn, but like I said, in Gideon's mind, it's, yeah, fuck that. I'm going to try yeah. to to be the power player here. So Exactly. A complete win there, and you know what, Nick? We're, we're right into the next one. Another complete win. Not that Absolutely. that was hard. I think my little kid could have uh, picked that one but we had mandos <laughs> versus imperials and boy did we get it and it bang, was bang. glorious oh yeah Spe- especially in the uh the finale in particular with the with the flying charge and all that stuff so yeah. hard uh, win. we got we got that and it looked just as radical i think as we all expected yeah i mean i, I would even say that that the the finale probably went above and beyond our expectation oh, yeah. for yeah. what it what it could be i mean having um Basically, Imperial Super Commandos resurrected into the uh, the post ROTJ timeline into the Mandoverse with full Beskar armor, full uh, full jetpack capability. The fights that we saw in the final two episodes of of Mando season three are fantastic, and um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's still a lot of opportunity for Mandos versus Imperials to come. Obviously, once <laughs> once Thrawn brings his uh, oh, yeah. his shadow fleet could, back could into the galaxy. zombie Imperials at that yeah. point in time. Oh yeah. So. so, uh, very excited for the future of the Mando versus Imperials wants for, for the Mando verse. And like I said last week, I really do think watching Mando's in action now is more exciting than watching force users. Sorry. I said, it. <laughs> I said it. Sorry. They're just, they're more skilled warriors because they don't have the magic to rely on. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. But yes, could Darth Vader landed down there and just, you know, squished all of them? More than likely. Yeah. It's okay. we, we said it's more entertaining. We didn't say that It looks that they, cooler. Yeah, it looks yeah. cooler. It, it's we didn't not say as that boss. if you put 100 Mandos versus 100 Jedi that the Mandos would win. Yeah, right. The Jedi right. probably would still win, but it's cool watching Mandos fight. <laughs> Exactly. All right, Nick, this next one, I'm going to say I'll call it hit, one. but I'm going to let you, since you, you were the one that was really concerned about this. So it is Grogu communicates beyond coups and signs. In, and it sounds like Nick's giving us the win. In the most technical sense, it's a win, right? Because he gets a suit where he can say yes and no. He used that <laughs> to effectively communicate that in yeah, multiple sure instances. <laughs> uh, so technically, that's a win for the Star Wars time, boys. Um, <laughs> what now, I'll take it, man. Yeah. I love winning. Now, how much that will extend into season four now that that suit is completely destroyed? We'll right. see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you might be backed on the Grogu hate train come season four. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just waiting because I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Obviously, nobody knows anything about Grogu and Yoda and Yaddle's species. Nobody knows when they come to their maturation in terms of of their ability to communicate. But I feel kind of weird that he's getting into his 60s now. He's getting close to 60 and yeah. this kid can't on, talk buddy. yet. Do we need to go to speech therapy or something, yeah, Grogu? I mean, I mean, you know, it could still be trauma, trauma from the, from yeah. the Keller and Beck rescue. That, that could happen. 
But yeah, I, I swear, I still swear in season three, like if you listen closely, uh, especially I think it's episode three or something where they're all on the gauntlet and they're talking and, and Din says this is a way and I think Bo might say it and I swear he's like, like that. So I, I, yeah, I think he's, I think he's trying, but he's clearly not there. And even the armor busted his ass in the finale. Like, listen, he can't, he can't do shit without his parents blessing because he can't speak. So it is what it is, but I'm glad Nick gave us the win. I will always take victory over defeat. It's uh, it's kind of like my dog, you know, like my dog, Ash, I have a little mini Australian shepherd. And we had buttons for her that she could hit to say yes, things that she wants. Yes. Potty, play, treat. She could hit the buttons and then she could talk. So that's kind of what How long did it take to train that? Honestly, she doesn't use them anymore because what? here's what would happen. She learned P, what P, they did. P, P, <laughs> she, No, she learned what they did very quickly. But the thing is, is she didn't want to use them. So here's what would happen. She would like... <laughs> go sit by the door to go to the bathroom. Right. And we'd be like, Ash, you have to hit your button. So here's what she would do. She would walk over to her button and she would stare at us and she would hit it. And then she would hit it again. Oh and then she'd goodness. hit it again. And then yeah, she's like giving you a fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she would intentionally not do it, even though she knew what they did. That is she was amazing. like, I don't want to do this. It's like, this it. is ridiculous. I love it. She's like, fuck you, meat bags. I figured it out. I learned it. Well, you're going to, you know, make me do this remedial shit. Look, I'm yeah. at the door. It means I got to piss. It's like, you know what I have to do. Don't make me do is, this fucking That is dumb awesome. Shit. Yeah, she gets so. a Chewbacca or he. <laughs> that is fantastic, dude. Yeah. I love it. All right. So Nick gave us the win there. Uh, yeah. Next one. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to let you judge this too, but I think we got it down. Bo and Din's Darksaber conflict resolved. Yeah, I mean, I I also marked this as a win. Um, I think that at the end of season two, we thought that there may have been a little bit more like conflict resolution to be had. Like we we yeah we, we thought there was some legit beef between the two. Like, like yeah. she had she she had some some problems with the guy. Yeah, I think that we were definitely expecting that. We were definitely expecting a little bit more. Um, you know pomp and circumstance to be given to this whole dark saber resolution. But, uh, very quickly, uh, Din Jaren was, was happy to hand it over and be like, Hey man, I don't even want this. Like, like, you know, and then we find out later that he didn't, it it, it literally mattered nothing to him because in his, yeah, like in his version of the Mandalorian religion, the dark saber is, but a trinket and, Happily handed it over to Bo. Um, and then the real conflict resolution on the Darksaber end of it came with the fight between Bo and Axe Woves, you know, like, um, yep. and that was kind of really the resolution there. And then you had the ultimate resolution, perhaps at the end when the Darksaber was completely destroyed by uh, Gideon's robo Darksaber suit. Yeah, I think um, so. we, we we kicked the shit out of that one. And and, and here's I got a pitch for you. If you want to make a Souls like Star Wars game, gotta be Din Djarin is the lead and he has the Darksaber. Yeah. Right? Hear me out. Because the dude can barely wield it. He wields it like a battle axe, like it weighs five thousand pounds. That's that's Jedi Survivor gameplay. Din Djarin with the Darksaber, right there. Yeah. yeah that's I the mean, best way to explain it. 
That would make more sense. And if you, you think that's fun, well, good for you. I don't. I yeah, I mean, don't. that that would make more sense. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I consider that a win. The, the dark, as far as we are concerned at the end of season three, the Darksaber storyline is closed. Yeah, that, no more um, conflict around that, that yeah. legendary blade. Okay, next one here. Another just fucking nailed it. More light shed on the cloning thread from S1 and S2. Guess what? We didn't just get more light. We got all the light. Yeah. The, it the is window is fully open. exposed. Like we yeah. got it all. And, and as Nick said, it does seem like Gideon was even going against what um, Hux was doing in terms of cloning. Like Gideon really kind of had his own little clandestine operation going on Navarro with cloning. So Nick said it perfectly. The window is wide open. It's a bright, sunny day. Every ray of light has been shown on the cloning thread from S1 and S2. Yeah. Now, does that mean that we're finished with the the cloning talk and everything like that? Obviously not. not. Obviously not. But in terms of like the storylines that were introduced from seasons one and two involving cloning, we've definitely closed those threads. We we know exactly Uh, what it is. Gideon had his plan and, and it was almost there. It was Din and Din Grogu themselves that actually flushed his... Little babies down a proverbial toilet. Indeed. And to close out our once with a win, we have Grogu's Rescuer. And boy, did we get that. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mr. Mr. Keller and Beck making his uh, debut in the Star Wars galaxy. Obviously, Ahmed Best uh, plays him. And uh, I think that, that, yeah, I mean, I think that everybody involved... And everybody who who witnessed Grogu's uh, rescue was was happy with how it went down. Um, you know, to to not only have uh, a new character introduced in Keller and Beck, but to have Ahmed Best play it. And even though he didn't need a a redemption in the Star Wars universe, as a lot of people were positioning it, um, it was it was fantastic to see him take up the mantle as a true Jedi Master, come in and save uh grogu and hey i mean it's it's highly likely that we will see him again because yeah, i don't I, think I that think we've so. seen the end of this grogu and keller and beck story uh yeah, you know I, like I mean, dude, flashbacks we, we, we talked about that during the episode i mean it, i still feel like there there's more of grogu's backstory owed to us and i know that's a an awful way to phrase that <laughs> like i'm entitled or some shit but it is like okay, we got the rescuer. That's great. That that showed uh, told us a lot about Grogu's past. But where do they go? Does he go to Naboo? Does he get passed around? How does he end up with a fucking Nikto gang on Arvala Seven in yeah. in a in a you know in a little metal container? Uh, so I, I don't think we've seen the last of Ahmed and, and Keller and either. Yeah. All right. So you know what? Those were just once. You know, we we can't really congratulate ourselves too much for that. The predictions, you know, that, that's where we, we make our not money. And these, these might get a little hairier. So here we go, Nick. Grogu, again, these are predictions. These are things we were telling you all to take to the bank, potentially. But as yeah. Tone said, after the finale, the, the SWTS uh, predictions bank has been flushed out and sold to J.P. Morgan Chase <laughs> at this point in time. I mean, we we may have a mean? couple wins in here. Yeah. All right. So first one, Grogu will speak for the first time, probably towards the finale. Again, Nick, I'll default to you, but I'm thinking this is a win. 
Well, technically a win. We'll say that's $50 in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> a 50-50 win. All right, I'll yeah. take it. Yeah. Yeah, because he did not speak himself, but he definitely used yeah. a a robot to communicate for him. We'll say that each of these predictions holds a potential $100 in the bank. We'll we'll mm-hmm. we'll put $50 like you said, right, Matt, into the bank for this. Cha-ching. <laughs> Okay, here's a good one. This is a fun one here. And this this is what happens when when you 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 know fan speculations based on leaks when you don't know the full details, but this one's a doozy. <laughs> yeah. Get a version of Jaster Mareel, probably Chris Lloyd's character, which would loop in Boba. That's a strike one, strike is- two, strike three, you're out of here. Yeah. We we may have to remove ten dollars from the bank yeah. for this one. Now we're negative, bro. We're already <laughs> yeah. in the negative (laughs) uh yeah yeah this was a big swing and a miss obviously Uh, a lot of speculation around christopher lloyd's character i think a lot of people i think what we need to get used to in the star wars tv verse is like when there are like big name (laughs) actors that are revealed to to have some sort of cameo role they're gonna be nobodies like right. they're they're yeah. they're gonna be throwaway characters that that likely will not have a. And long the other lesson. thing, Nick, if it's if it's John's property, such as The Mandalorian, we've now seen three seasons of it, three and a half seasons of it. He pretty much is a point A to point B type of storyteller. There's no, yeah. there's no like these little tangents we all think things are gonna go on. So. Yeah. I Hopefully mean, we'll we'll get better at that for season four. Yeah, D- Dave is definitely the one where it's like. Oh, th- th- like this actor is going to be in it and it's going to be a cameo role. Dave is the one that will be like deep cut. This is fucking this character from episode 18, season three of Clone Wars that you may have forgotten about or something like that. That That's definitely more Filoni's realm than it is John's realm. So, uh, yeah, that that's a that's an L on the prediction for that awful like i mean just it was so bad it was so bad it was it was so bad because we were so specific on it oh yeah yeah that's what i mean it was like two straight up fanboys right there like yeah Yeah. jester mario boba fett blah it's a sort of something remember it was in his chain code so that was a that was a lose big time loss or loss works better Okay, well, we might as well keep the the losses going in order. The next one here, Sabine Wren's live-action debut, more than likely via Ahsoka. That's another bing and a bang and a boom. Both of those were misses. I mean, technically, by the way that we worded it, we are going to be correct because her live action debut is going to take place. Yeah, that's what via, I meant. That's Ahsoka what I meant. Series. Not via Ahsoka the character. I meant via the series. Silly. Exactly. Exactly. We were so. just we were getting ahead of the game for our Ahsoka predictions. Duh. Yeah. No shit. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's an L. Uh, we 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 kind of talked through that one in our once, but. Definitely not a win that came to fruition yeah. in season three. Same with same with this next one. Armor revealed as Rook cast. No, yeah. she wasn't. She's yeah, I mean, just uh, Emily Swallow in a sweet helmet that has horns on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's as far as we've gotten uh, into the the armor's past so far. Maybe in season four. But like I said <laughs> in in the previous uh, once segment. Until it is officially revealed to me, I am done guessing who the armorer is. There, there are no more speculations coming from me that the armorer is this person or a bad guy or a good guy or a spy or anything else. So. 
Uh, too many I'm, hits I'm on that. I'll try my best. I'll try my best unless making Star Wars grabs some sort of juicy leak with insights. But yeah, I'm yeah. with you. All right, here we go. It's just like taking them on the chin right after one after another. Din rides a mythosaur. Woo-hoo! Din didn't even fucking see it, nor does he even know it exists. Yeah. No uh, one's even told Din yet. Yeah. As far as Din knows, uh, he fell under that water and all that was around him were little fish swimming. Um, yeah, I mean, the mythosaur thing is interesting. <laughs> I mean, I think that like also for us, just for general fans, like, the entire perception of the mythosaur has changed, right? I mean, I don't think that any any of us expected it to be a purely, at least to this point, a purely aquatic creature. Yeah, um, not me. And, and you know, a lot of us, we we were kind of taking the songs of Ian's past to heart. We're like, yeah, if a, if mythosaurus returns, that just automatically means Mandalorians are going to mount them, and yeah. no, it doesn't. <laughs> it just yeah, means the mean, planet is ready for a new age. Yeah, you know, it, it, it is actually, I mean, like, it, this isn't to say that they may not ride a mythosaur at some point in The Mandalorian, <laughs> but to this point, like, I don't even see how you could do it. Like, given the scale of how big a person is next to a mythosaur and the fact that as of right now, this thing lives completely underwater, I don't even see how that would be possible. Um, but, you know... They we'll do see I guess they have jetpacks, so I guess if you need to mount it, you could just kind of shoot yourself up there as long as you got yeah. enough fuel. You need the you need the spacefaring fuel, not the uh let's go find a abducted Mandalorian foundling fuel. Because remember exactly. they're two different things. <laughs> exactly. The foundling fuel runs out very quickly where the spacefaring fuel can take a Mando from underneath a planet, like in the planet's core, all the way to space. Yeah, exactly. Gotta Gotta, that specific type of gas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So no, no riding mythosaurs. Bo didn't ride it. Din didn't ride it. No one's riding it. Hell, I, I mean, the only one that got close to it is technically Grogu when he reached into the living waters and just said, hey, buddy, I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I, Nick, I think this one kind of, we, we're getting back on track here. We're, we're back yeah. in the wind column with dark saber drama resolved with new twist and understanding. And I think we can massage the new twist and understanding to make it still work. Right? No. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for the new twist and understanding, I feel like the general, the general thought behind the dark saber was it is the be all and end all for all Mandalorians. Whoever holds this blade is the leader of of Mandalore, right? Like that's mm -hmm. kind of the way that we were, we're taking the understanding and that's of no fault of our own. I mean, if you look at the history, if you look at star Wars rebels, if you look at uh star Wars clone wars and in the meaning attached to the blade leading up to it, we were under the assumption that like, Hey man, if you, if you beat somebody in single combat, you get this blade, you're, you're the leader. Now the new twist and understanding is that Really, that only applies to non-creed believing Mandos. You know, that only applies to those people who like were... Like the pure bloods, if, yeah, the, if we can call them that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the, the pure-blooded Mandalorians, that was kind of their belief structure. And the, the people who followed the creed, the, the watch, uh, didn't really have any sort of uh, uh, honor or, or, you know, respect given to the Darksaber at all, other than it was just a, it was a blade used at one time by a very famous Mandalorian Jedi. Um, so I do think that this is a win on both 
uh, both parts of this prediction. The drama right. is resolved and there is new understanding uh, to how the, the Darksaber's uh, mythology works. Hey, a win's a win. Yeah. All right. This, this next one here, I, <laughs> I, I, I still think we get a little bit of credit. Okay, Nick, hear me out. Moff Gideon leading crew of former Mandalorians in battle against Din and Bo's forces. So, okay. they, those in the Super Commando or Mandalorian Commando armor, we don't technically know if they were former Mandalorians or not, Nick, but they were... Wearing Mandalorian armor and and almost fighting, sorta yeah. like Mandalorians. Yeah, so I what mean, do th- what do you what do you think? Do we get any credit for this? We have no way of of proving that they weren't former Mandalorians. That's right. So <laughs> I think that this is still a win. This is this is at least a partial win because Moff Gideon did lead you. a I'll crew of people that are wearing. Mandalorian-esque armor yes. in battle yes. against Din and Bo's forces. This is 100% Truth. true. <laughs> All right. All right. So, uh, yeah, I mean. I'm with it, you. There, there could have definitely been some former Mandalorians in there, but they didn't take their helmets off. In fact, because they didn't take their helmets off, it leads they me are. to believe even they're more that they're the former Mandalorians. Yeah, yes, exactly. they, they believe in the creed. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, think about it, Nick, because they, they were just standing in that, that ray shield hallway almost like they were statues. So yeah. they had their helmets on. So, yes, you're right. So that that's a full win. I'm I'm gonna upgrade that to a full win at this <laughs> point in time. You you, you litigated me into thinking that. So thank you. Next up, 100 win. We 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 kind of finished with our wants, but Grogu's Jedi Temple Savior revealed to be dot dot dot. So that means it's a win. That's a win. Right? We didn't Mr. we we didn't we didn't pick a name. We just said it's gonna happen. Right? It's so gonna it, happen. It works. And it happened, Mr. Keller and Beck is the is the savior and he was revealed so nothing more to say there that's definitely a win see you tones good having you back buddy get to bed all right yeah we'll take that we'll take those wins oh here here's a fun one <laughs> this is <laughs> hey sabine's mom will show up why not yeah yeah i mean this is i mean we definitely put a lot more like a lot more focus on like the the retaking of Mandalore is going to be like a full like Avengers Endgame style moment for all Mandalorians where like hey everybody's yeah, coming right. everybody's <laughs> no, coming it wasn't. and it really wasn't it was really like hey we got like 50 guys and we're just gonna <laughs> go for it <laughs> I mean that's what it felt like I think I think the creators wanted us to think it was more like there was actually a bunch of people on that capital ship or the light cruiser and whatnot. But Nick is, Nick is right. It is like, yeah, we got, we found 50 Mandos. That means all factions are reunited. We've taken Mandalore and relit the great forge. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we know that there is an Avengers in game style, uh, kind of come together coming at some point. Sabine's mom's like, fuck off, Bo. I mean, but listen, hear us out. The last time we see Sabine's mom, and it's not in, in timeline order, but she was a night owl with Bo-Katan trying to rec- recruit Ahsoka Tano to help them kick Maul off the fucking planet. Exactly. So, I mean, I mean, it did, it did sound like her and Bo might have been tight at some point in time. Maybe that fell apart towards Rebels when went to Wrens. They were kind of back on their Citadel compound on a planet. Bo was 
you know, trying to re remake herself after Death Watch. So who knows? But I think we had good intentions by throwing that prediction up there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that there was a lot of like previous content that led us to believe that this would be possible or that this could happen. But, but and- your point is 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 more true to, I think, why we were throwing out the Sabines and the, I think her name's Ursa Wren. Ursa, yeah. it, it, you, you did kind of think like, okay, if, if, if the goal here is to reunite the Mandalorian factions, tribes, whatever, you, you would think you would have got some of the other named Mandos from the animated yeah. series. I mean, we talked about Fen Ra being a possibility, uh, the, the Ren family being a good possibility, but Hey, it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe well, B mad's got a point here. What if she's dead from the purge? I mean, well, well, no, cause yeah. you s- no, no, that, that, cause I, Nick, I believe, especially now that, you know, Bo told the story of how she lost the dark saber, the, the purge and the night of a thousand tears would have taken place after, um, Bo getting the Darksaber in Star Wars Rebels. So I, yeah, I do so, think B-Mad is on the something there. I mean, it's it's very possible, yeah. I mean, because the way that she she essentially said, like, I gave away the right. Darksaber to stop this. To try and, and stop and she, that shit. Yeah, and as far as we know, she had it. She was given the Darksaber by Sabine in, in Star Wars Rebels, and then she kept it up until she had she gave it away. So, yeah, so I mean, it would be interesting if if Ursa Ren did die off screen, considering how primary big of a character she was. But I mean, it is definitely possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're you're 50 Mandos. Maybe that's truly all that was left. Yeah. Uh, you just you, you don't know. And the way these people, at least the cult acts like, how could they even procreate? You know, Paz somehow had a kid. Was it adopted? Well, I guess we'll never know at this point in time. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mandos will ultimately unite under Din and Bo to rise against Gideon in the Remnant. So, yeah, sure. Why not? I I mean, Din and Bo, even though it was technically Bo, Din was with her every step of the way. He he went with her to that that with that Plantier or Plazier fifteen. To, to, to get the owls, he was with her when he brought her to the watch where they both got taken back into the tribe. So even though Bo technically is who they united, united under, without Din, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think that there was a lot of expectation that there was going to be like some sort of joint rule happening. Like Bo and Din are both the rulers of Mandalore. Yeah, but you're the um, one that always knew that Din was just a guy. Like yeah, you I always mean, you identified him as just a dude season one. Yeah, I mean, and I it's don't, okay. He, you can, he can be just a dude and still be a kick-ass rad yeah, Star no, Wars he, character. He's a kick-ass dude, and he's and, a Han Solo man. I mean, that, that's yeah. what he is. He's a fucking dude. Yeah, I mean, Han Solo doesn't want to be like Han no. Solo. Like, he left his goddamn wife and kid because he didn't yeah. even want to be a, like a general anymore. He's like, yeah. fuck this shit. I want like, to go he steal He reluctantly stuff. took the role of general in <laughs> yes. even in ROTJ. Like when when they're all sitting at the uh, at the council or at the at the the planning the war planning council before they do the attack on uh, on Death Star two. Like Lando, like Lando gets called out as a general, and he's like, oh yeah, happy to be here, and then. 
they like everybody like they call out Han as a general and Lando's like what you fucking really you a general <laughs> like, yeah they, they they both they they kind of both incredulously react to each other like you're you're dumbass you're, yeah. you're the guy I know from the old gambling scoundrel days you're a general now too it's like yeah well so am I so yeah that's who that's who I look at as Din he he is a, a bitchin' badass strong tough guy character obviously the fans love him. But he's not a he's not a Princess Leia. You know what no, I mean? No, yeah. He he does not want to be involved in the politics. He doesn't want to be involved. <laughs> and clearly with Luke the, Skywalker didn't want to either, based on the sequel trilogy. So yeah. you never know. So I mean uh, uh we'll see. I mean, I, I really do think that that Din is kind of done with the political side of the Mandalorian uprising, though. I think that he is yeah. really like He's got his he's little focus on his damn son. That's it, man. He's got his son and, and they're going to work Grogu's ass up to full Mandalorian. That I think that's his plan. Yeah. Plain so. and simple at this point until, you know, Thrawn shows up and, and shit hits the bed. Yeah. Uh, uh, next one. <laughs> next one here. Thrawn stinger for Ahsoka series tease. That yeah. was a, yeah, that's a big. Yeah. I mean, not a stinger. We definitely got the mention of Thrawn. We got a mention there of Thrawn. There you go. I like, I like where Nick's going here. I think uh, he's trying to pull this one out of the grave. Go yeah, ahead. Keep going. You know, we know <laughs> that Thrawn's re-entry into the galaxy is a part of the Remnant's plan. Uh, via Peleon, obviously, in, in the Shadow Council that we saw happening. So we know that, like... That they are still planning, like, hey, Thrawn is out there. Thrawn's going to come back. When Thrawn comes back, it's go time. Like, that's kind of the yeah. the greater remnants idea, or at least some of the greater remnants ideas. Like, hey, just bide our time, and then when Thrawn comes back, we're gonna we're gonna retake everything. But as for like a true stinger of like, hey, you get to see the back of Thrawn's head as he's sitting on the Chimera, and then boom, there. They're back into yeah. the known yeah, galaxy. The one, the one we had in our heads definitely didn't happen. But I, I do. I think your wordsmithing does salvage that one a bit because yeah. he's not wrong. We we did get a tease of Thrawn in Ahsoka, or we did get a tease of Thrawn for the Ahsoka series in the Mandalorian season three. It just absolutely did not play out as we predicted. Yeah. All right. And this, this last one, Nick, let, um, let me run with this one. I was going to say, I'll let you take this you, one. You because... be the final judge, okay? So here's the okay. last one. Grogu inches even closer to becoming the next Tar Vizsla. All right? So I'm going to say yes. Yeah. It worked. And here's why. Okay? Grogu got his next piece of armor. Grogu trained with other foundlings. And won with his little dart game. And by the end, Grogu got a battlefield promotion from Mandalorian foundling to Mandalorian apprentice. So he is still in the program to become a Mandalorian. And he is still using the force as a Mandalorian apprentice. So therefore, Nick, I do believe he is still inching closer to that type of character in the galaxy meaning a force user that is also a mandalorian yeah i mean i think by the by like the very essence like by the by the essence of what tar vizsla was that is correct like tar vizsla like i think that that you could construe this in two ways you could look at this as like oh well 
Grogu inches closer to becoming the next Tar Vizsla means like the next great leader of Mandalore who wields yeah, the dark I, I, saber. I was going to say, blah, but blah, there's blah, some caveats you know? to that. So I'm glad yeah, Nick's you know? taking care of it. <laughs> but uh, in terms of like the, the base definition of what Tar Vizsla was a, a, a force sensitive Mandalorian, we are definitely coming closer to that. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not like, listen, I'm not trying to fuck around here. That's <laughs> that's what I meant when I laid down this prediction back in February. Not that Grogu is going to become the guy, the leader, but he is going to to mimic that type of character that hasn't been seen in the galaxy since Tar Vizsla. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would consider that a win. Like he was not expelled Sweet. from I'll the take, Mandalorian order because it. he can't talk. Uh, thanks to his new papa uh, officially right. adopting him and that being accepted uh, uh, pretty you quickly. You are right. They, the, the watch <laughs> should set up an adoption agency because they, they get that shit done. Lickety split. No yeah, red tape. Like, you just you just got to say, hey, um, we don't know where this foundling's parents are. They could be anywhere. They could be alive or dead. So I'll take it. Like, yeah, all right, uh, go ahead. <laughs> he, he is yours. He is officially a Mandalorian yeah, now, apprentice. Now, now he gets your name too. Now he gets your 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 first last name. Yeah. So, guy like, um, guy yeah. Like. I mean, I I I do consider that a win. I consider all that right, a win. Sweet. I'll take uh, it. So yeah. So not bad. So here here's the recap. I'll just do L's and W's. If anyone in the audience wants to tabulate and, and give us a score, go for it. I know Nick and I will not. So, uh, the, we had a win with the first one. So win. Loss, 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 win, 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 loss, win, sort of win, win. So not too bad. I think there's yeah, more I mean, wins than losses. That's more wins than losses. So, um, so if, it, hey, if it's baseball, <laughs> I think we're hitting a pretty damn good batting. Average, oh, yeah. I mean, right? we're we're above uh, we're above 300 <laughs> in baseball. And 300, we're 300, sluggers, motherfucker. We, yeah, we got 300 this gets you down. into the Hall of Fame. So All there right. you go. All right. That was fun. So let, let's just go ahead and move right into the, the final bit, the final segment we have planned for the Mandalorian Season 3, and that is our top moments from the season. All right? So, uh, Nick, I, I kind of put these in there. If you've got any to add at the end, I'm, I'm more than happy to to include them but for now we'll just kind of go off the list and 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 see what we got so you know we as as odd as this may sound and it it really is sound especially it is odd if especially if you listen to the show a lot and my opening riff on uh, jedi survivor but we typically like to keep things positive about star wars (laughs) on the star wars time show and i know like listen it sounds ridiculous especially with my opening rant but I, I, I'm not really here to focus on like what, what people may consider low points of the season. I mean, I, I didn't really find anything in season three that, that offended me or made me roll my eyes. I think the only thing I would critique would be episode three with that just long cutaway from the Mandalorian action to, to Pershing. But I, I, I also enjoyed the part, the, the, the Pershing check-in. So uh, we're, we're just going to focus on stuff we enjoyed. All right. You, you know, you can go find the bitching and moaning on, on socials uh, or when I talk about combat mechanics and Jedi survivor. All right, Nick. So um, let's go ahead and shit. Well, the first one I have here, we've talked about a few times, so we can just kind of move right by it. But yeah, 
um, a top moment for me, and I, I believe my friend Nick would also agree because I know it was kind of on his list of things that were, was getting a bit nauseating, and that is the dark saber drama is gone from the Mandalorian. Like it just it's gone. Who cares how it resolved or how it played out? That thing got fucking crushed. And for the most part, Nick, it seems like they've moved on from that. The 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 lore and the constraints that Saber placed on parts of that society. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. I think yeah, like you said, we kind of talked through this one twice. It that is definitely um one of the top moments because it was it was just like a specter hanging over the entire yeah, it, just, it just gets that shit out of the way. We don't have to worry about it anymore, hopefully. Hopefully, you know, in season four we can just focus on what has Bo and them done since season three? Uh, l- let's hope it's not back in the squabbling or oh, let's repair the dark saber, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully that moment, it being resolved in season three means that's it. Okay. Um, but that is a top moment. Next top moment we have for you here, Grogu and Bo rescue Din and see the Mythosaur. So if you forget what I'm talking about, Nick, this will take you all the way back to episode two where Din gets himself in a pickle. And for the first time, Grogu, on his own, literally has to leave Din's side to go and get help. And, and, you know, he eventually makes it to Bo. They get back. We get to see Bo in action. She's kicking ass with the Darksaber, technically wins it back. And then it ends with that big reveal when, when uh, you know, the, the, the sinker, the not-bobber-having Din Djarin sinks to the bottom of the living waters. We get the Mythosaur. So really that whole... It was kind of that whole sequence from the moment Din gets captured to the moment Bo sees the Mythosaur. I just thought those events were top notch. Yeah, I mean, it did a lot, you know, like even though we we semi identified it when it happened, you had the official changeover of the uh, the Darksaber from Bo's. Uh, I mean, from Din's possession to Bo's like so that that was covered and you had confirmation of the existence of mythosaurs of living mythosaurs on Mandalore. So that was definitely like too huge. I mean, technically that, that one episode alone fulfilled both prophecies or like the prophecy for the watch and the requirement for the, the pure blood Mandos for like Bo to be, the leader and for yep. the, the reestablishment of right, Mandalore. She, ba- as- she baptized herself, kept her helmet on, and then also technically won the Darksaber in combat. Yeah, so, so I mean, you, like, you hit that, the nail that, on the head. Yeah, I mean, that that one episode checked off all the boxes that, that Bo and everybody else needed to, to, like, say, hey, it's go time. Let's let's get our planet back. Yeah, it, it just, if you remember the visuals of Bo and that Darksaber and how quickly she, you know, kind of handled the enemies that were giving Din problems that, it, it like Nick was saying, we got a lot in this episode for, for Bo-Katan in terms of setting her up as this, this skilled warrior, the savior of Din, but also, as he said, working her towards becoming the next Mandalore by appeasing yeah. both both factions that this show follows. Okay, sticking with Bo and Din, I, Nick, I also really enjoyed the moment where Bo and Din, and this is in at the end of episode three, where the armorer, after Paz gives them some shit, welcomes them back into the watch. Not only Din, but also grants Bo membership. Yeah, I mean, I think that 
in terms of how this played out narratively, it was an important moment for Bo because she was at a point to where she was essentially just listless, you know, yeah, just like, lost her home. Remember, just got blown up yeah. at the beginning of that episode. Yeah. I mean, in her, her band of Mandalorian friends had essentially abandoned her. Um, they, they, they left her just kind of in the lurch all, all on her own. And that moment really kind of like put into perspective, like, yeah, you know, we, we may have our differences, but it is more important for us to be together as a people than it is for us to squabble amongst ourselves about like what you believe and what you believe. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- th- that moment set the groundwork for what ultimately happened in the finale. I mean, th- th- this is how the armorer threw that olive branch and both through accepting it. Uh, kind of got on the same page and, and were, were able to get over their major differences, the cultural differences. Again, a big surprise. Humanoids having cultural problems that cause war. I mean, just look within ourselves. That's all we are. We're, we're all the same motherfuckers based on DNA outside of a few tweaks here and there. But for some reason, we can't coexist. Mandalorian's the same way. And it was because of their culture differences. And that moment kind of helped heal some of that and set up Bo for for growth and understanding which paid off she she redeemed herself yeah yeah okay number four moving right through this which is good Kalorin Beck saves Grogu and gives Ahmed a win notice I said gives him a win doesn't doesn't uh, redeem him because Ahmed didn't need redeemed he he did a great job being asked what he was asked to do for the prequels and bringing Jar Jar Binks to life and then the media and fans thank god there was no social media back then yeah um tore him down to the part where he was on a bridge wanting to jump off so uh I I I loved seeing who saved Grogu and it was someone none of us were expecting that was great but really on a on a human level it was awesome to see that that man get a fucking win from Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I, I think they started to kind of fold Ahmed back in in a kind of a small way with the Jedi Temple challenges, uh, you know, kid show on Disney Plus. Obviously, Ahmed had, had been kind of like a staple at on the celebration scene for a few years up to this point after he had like come to come to terms with his role in star Wars. And I think that this was just like, it was kind of the cherry on top for, for him personally. And then also for, for like fans of the franchise in general. So yeah, overall, just yeah. A big I, I mean, listen, I'm, I am a, I'm kind of a, an animated version of myself. These few hours that I do this show, but I'm also someone that is, I, I just, I, I guess I am an angry person. I'm very pessimistic. <laughs> I'm somewhat antisocial. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I, I'm I'm one of these people like you know screw everyone else. Who cares? I hate I hate humans type of deal. But when I saw the reactions that Ahmed Best was getting on on socials, and then seeing him react to the reactions. That's where I was like, you know what? I, as a human, I love seeing this happen for another human, even though deep down I don't necessarily enjoy most humans. Does that yeah. make sense? I mean, I think that, like, if you can say one thing, like, people can have their opinions about Disney, Star Wars, and stuff like that. I think one thing that they've done a really good job with is 
is taking is on like an actor's from like an actor's perspective. Like they they have really taken a lot of these actors who were railroaded in the prequels and and really brought them back into the fold and done a really fantastic job of 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 making Star Wars fun for them again. Like, you know, yeah. This with Ahmed Best. I mean, just with Hayden Christensen coming back yeah. in the Kenobi. Uh, in the Kenobi series. And even with I mean, I don't think that that, you know, to a, to a, the degree that Ahmed and and Hayden uh experienced it, but like um even just bringing um uh Ewan back, you know, like bringing Ewan back to the role of of Obi-Wan Kenobi and really kind of doing that character justice in the uh you know the post rots uh world and 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 giving him the own his own series and how how that played out like i think that they've done a really good job of like taking some wrongs quote unquote from the prequels and 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 doing them right well yeah i mean the other thing and i don't want to go too far into it because the people that don't like what they call wokeness will be upset but Disney, whether you people that don't understand inclusion or not, they, they've done a great job at inclusivity with newer Star Wars, bringing people of color, giving them pop roles like like Ahmed right there. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, Bo essentially being the lead this season, making it a female, yeah. a strong female lead. That that stuff is all good. And I know I know some of you white people out there, especially you white men that have only seen white men and white people on TV it still rubs you the wrong way. I feel sorry for you that you waste brain power on that type of stuff. But think about it. For us, all we've seen our whole lives are our kind on TV. Being heroes, warriors, saviors, gods. Isn't it okay to let non-white males also experience that every once in a while? Is it really that big of a deal? Is someone really shoving an agenda down your throat by putting different colored people on TV in lead roles? I think it like think it about makes it. A, think about it, my friends. Think about it, it. It makes a big difference when you see how like the people that it's meant for react to it. Yes. Like when you see like a little black I, Nick, girl I get who it through watches, my daughter. I, yeah. I, I mean, watching shows where there's not a, a strong female character, my kid will tune out and it makes sense. She's yeah. not seeing herself in these characters. Yeah. I mean, when you see, when you see it in action, um, I think it has a lot more of an effect than you realize like how powerful that can be in media. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, like people are going to have their own opinions and they're going to say what they want to say about it. But like when you, when you sit down and you watch like, uh, like a little black girl watch the TV shit, like, like watch Obi-Wan Kenobi and she sees Reva, um, Reva and she's like, Oh my God. Soon to be the acolyte. I mean, the acolyte's nothing but people of color and women. Yeah. And like when, when they see those people on screen and you see their reaction to it and they say, Oh, she looks like me. Or he looks like me. That's a very powerful I, thing. I know, for, man, but that, you know, that is a people. concept that a lot of humans just don't understand or they choose to not understand because they just they, they, they want their, their tiny worldview to, to still be 
the only worldview. Yes. Yeah, so. All right. That that's enough getting into the the political type of stuff. Not that this stuff should even be political. It's just fucking humanity, yeah, people. Human. Like why 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 does everyone give a fuck what other people are doing? As long as they're not breaking the law or fucking with you personally. Isn't the world crazy enough? Don't you have enough shit going on in your own life? Like, why are you caring about who loves who or who wants to do what to their body? Who fucking cares? Not me. All right. Moving on. Um, up next, number, was it number five, four, five. Here we go. Right. Shadow Council Insights as a top moment. And I, I left that pretty broad, Nick, because I, I like the whole scene I loved and I felt it was a top moment for the season because, you know, obviously we got the reintroduction of Gideon, but it just made clear that the remnant isn't just a, a warlord in Navarro space or Mandalore space. It is an organized machine that is operating in the shadows, has has grand plans to return the Empire to power. Uh, you know, you had Paleon with in in Hux working on the, the the you know project Necromancer and Thrawn. You have Gideon doing his thing. Then you had the other kind of monsters there. So really, everything about this scene was was very insightful. It helps set up things we're going to see in Ahsoka and beyond, as well as uh, Filoni's movie. Yeah. And and anytime the Empire gets together at a leadership level, it's always great to see them interact with each other, how slimy they are, how insidious they are, and how just they're all individually power hungry, but they pretend they're not. Yeah, I mean, and it's also the first time that we have like true confirmation from the horse's mouth, like what the Empire is is like what their long-term goals are, like yeah. what their game plan is. Like they are the rebels point, at this point in time. I yeah, mean, they're, I mean, they're like, meeting in secret to take down a, a a bigger machine. Yeah, I mean, up to this point, it's been purely speculation. You know, like we we've only like the only leader of the Imperial Remnant that we've seen in the Mandoverse has been Gideon, and up to this point, his motives have been largely unknown. We're just like, well, he's just fighting to take control back. You know, that's all we could really say. And after the Shadow Council meeting, we now have a more concrete idea of like how they're going about that. What are they scheming? Like, what are they what was the purpose of the cloning program that we saw initially? What what is their long game beyond that? Like net, that gives us like a lot of insights and a lot of information into like what the next 15 years of this galaxy could look like, because realistically, we have what we still have 20 plus years until we get to easy, easy. the sequel trilogy timeline. Right. If not more. And um, shit always changes. I just read something. I think it was official where they're saying season one of the Mandalorian was only five years now post ROTJ. Yeah, it was supposed seven. to be seven. So, so who the fuck, who the fuck knows? Yeah. I, I think the only number we know for sure is that TFA takes place something like 38 years Post Jedi, I yeah, think that's something you Jedi. can you can count on. Yeah. So, but you are right. It, it, it's twenty plus years, even beyond what we've seen so far. Yeah. So there's a lot of time to to cover, and in that time, you have to there. There's a lot of action that needs to happen. So seeing at least the ideas in the in the like the long reaching plans that the that the Imperial Remnant has. Uh, for the first time was definitely a, a top moment. Yeah, and and, and you got to wonder now, Nick, because you are right. There, there's many years ripe for storytelling, but 
will this seasons and, and, and some of the negative buzz around it, will it, will it affect storytelling? Will it limit? Cause we know Lucasfilm will do it. They, they, yeah. they killed the whole, a star Wars story fucking project after solo. Uh, they, 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 they scrapped other films. So I don't know. I, um, hopefully the numbers look good, but we know Disney is struggling money wise. Their, their stock has just been shit this entire year. Like most stocks, but I Disney mean, in has, particular yeah. has, has nosedived. And I mean, it's and, not great too. If you haven't heard the entire writers guild association is now on strike. I mean, oh, I yeah, know that's that, right. That, that happened last night. Yeah. Last night. Like I know that this largely won't affect star Wars because this is more like, because the Star Wars writing room is like the Star Wars creators write their own shows. So like, I don't think that Dave Filoni is is in, involved in the strike. I don't think that John Favreau is involved in the strike because they're they while they are members of the Writers Guild, um, they they will. But well, here's the deal, Nick. They will strike, but their their projects are in the can. I mean, season yeah, exactly. Three is done. Like Ahsoka is done. So, it, yeah. and I actually read today, Tony Gilroy has come out and said they finished the season two finale script last week. So the strike will not, will not delay that either. Here's the problem. When it comes to unions, especially in entertainment, if one goes out, the others kind of have to yeah. not cross the line. So, yeah. and I mean, they, they still could shut down productions is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I mean, the Writers Guild named Disney as one of the, the, the you know, the uh, main negotiating reason partners that they yep. were trying to get a deal done with. So like mm-hmm. Disney, Sony, you know, Universal, all of these like giant producers of content are included. And I mean, luckily for us, like you said, you know, season two of uh, Andor's in the can, and and I think that that John had even said at some point that season four was largely finished of the Correct. Mandalorian. So, um, I mean, yeah, we'll see just, how long it, it goes on. But it just depends if if like the DGA go you know follows suit if SAG tells the actors to not work because uh, it can happen. I mean, when the writers go out, like I said, it usually is a unifying movement across yeah. all the guilds in in entertainment. Ah, yay. <laughs> means another it means a I, i'll still never forget the the one that happened what 15 years ago now because yeah, it, that, that it is, killed a lot killed, of good shows it, yeah, it fucked like, lost and heroes those yeah, are the two he, that stand I was out heroes to me. was the one for me that i was like oh wow this show just literally died they okay. they obliterated it it came back and it wasn't even the same fucking show it was yeah. awful but yeah. i kept watching it because of you know hayden and uh grunewald right greggy was in there snap yeah. wexley Yep, yep. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I kept forgetting that that actually happened because we talked about this uh, a while ago that this was a, a possibility and, and it, it happened. You know what? I know a lot of people, they have certain opinions on unions. I, some unions, I think, are egregious, like the auto unions and shit I used to have to deal with up in Detroit and why the auto industry almost folded. But some unions, I, I do think, make sense, and, and this is one of them. Because if you if you read the negotiations, I mean, the the, the streamers are essentially like, "Fuck all you people, we'll just yeah, get they, AI." Like they what literally, you know? like the like one of the main talking points that the like the big corporations didn't agree to was that they can't you like like they can't use AI to write shows. They can't use 
like writers guild members writing to train ai like it a lot of it was around ai was like yeah. hey you can't replace us with with artificial no, intelligence yeah, see, the streamers like, want stuff to be done automatically and and cheap where the writers want to be paid for their art yeah, it's that, like, that, that's where we're at like when netflix says like no we won't respect your 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 desire to not be put out of a job by ai like man that's kind of <laughs> tough like that's kind of tough yeah and i that is yeah, and i'm 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 with bat i i really do think everything's probably going to come to a standstill i just well, they, hope all that the, now that they announced dune 2 coming out in november i hope that stays yeah. on i mean track. all of the <laughs> like the late night shows already are off the air yeah they're yeah, done they're, yeah, so they're done. if you're a fan of like jimmy fallon or uh, you know, any of the other like late night television oh. shows time, time to catch yeah. up on some of that shit on your list. Yeah. Oh, it, one that I have to talk about. I know we're a little off track here and I want to get back on track cause I don't want to do a long one, but I have been putting this off because we've, we've had to get right to star Wars, but my God, Nick shrinking on Apple TV plus starring Harrison Ford and Jason Segal just may be the best written series I've ever experienced in my life. And, and I'm talking from like a, a comedy, but with some dramatic elements perspective. Yeah, I have heard good things ha- about that. Harrison Ford is amazing. He plays a fantastic crotchety old curmudgeon. Himself? It's just, uh, Nick, I'm telling you, <laughs> The, the, the writing here is is brilliant, and, and a lot of the writing, I believe, comes from Brett Goldstein, who is Roy Kent in yeah. Ted Lasso, yes. who also writes for Ted Lasso. So if you like the writing of Ted Lasso, you'll love Shrinking, and it also has that that Star Wars element via Harrison Ford. But my goodness, I, I just like the... The way they write, like you can see they'll, they'll set up kind of a payoff in, in one scene and payoff at the end. And you're like, my God, is that brilliant? These fucking writers, see? Fuck AI. But yeah, shrinking. Check it out. Shit is fantastic. Okay, let's get back to our top moments of Mandalorian Season 3. We're up to one, two, three, four, five. Number six. And this is kind of a catch-all. We talked about it a bit earlier, but Mandos versus Everyone is how I titled it, Nick. And I'm just talking about the action beats featured in the, the pirate battle, the you know saving of of Ragnar, retaking Mandalore, the dog fights that accompanied them in the air, Paz's sacrifice, Lady Kree's, your reinforcements have arrived, and of course all the duels at the end between uh, Din, Gideon, Din Grogu, and Bo. I, I just I really think when we got action, it was choice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, uh just a ton of credit to stunt teams ton of credit to the uh fight coordinators action coordinators for the show because this this probably was the best season in terms of like pure action moments so far um uh, and I, I think that could be said for not just the like the Mandalorian seasons, but maybe all of Disney uh, Star Wars TV thus far. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, the, the dog fights alone are, are some of the best in all of Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, it, it just the, the 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 one lone one with Din versus the pirates. Then you had Din and Bo versus the Empire. And then you had Din and Bo versus the pirates again. Just all fucking they look great. They they flowed well. They were tense. And as we said earlier, just just seeing Mandalorians in a coordinated a coordinated fashion 
attacking anything is a visual treat. Yeah, absolutely. So big, big win on that for sure. Okay. Up next, uh, I, I think this is a win. We got insights into the New Republic and, and kind of how it was trying to bumblefuck its way through managing the galaxy after the fall of the Empire. Yeah. So, we, Nick, we, we learned about things like the Amnesty Program and how that was being used. We, we met Adelphi Squadron, and we learned how you know the, the New Republic is so bogged down in red tape that they, they already can't really take care of threats unless you're a member yeah. plan. And even then, you got you to gotta take a ticket and wait. Yeah, I, I think that one thing that Star Wars has always done a, a pretty decent job of was kind of looking into the political structure, whether it be the bad political structure of like the Empire First Order and the good political structure of, you know, the, the Grand Republic and the prequels. And now we're kind of getting that with the uh, the New Republic and seeing that like, hey, I think the message all around is like government is imperfect. Like it doesn't matter what your intentions are. Like, obviously, if your intentions are bad, like the Empire, then you're going to have some bad shit going on in the background. But even if your intentions are good, like the New Republic, there is a there is a reality to the fact of managing of trying to govern and manage the needs of dozens a galaxy yeah, if not hundreds of <laughs> a planets galaxy in, not just a few planets we're talking yeah, about a galaxy yeah, you know hundreds of planets potentially i mean it's impossible to have a response to everything and seeing that via kane as a spy within the amnesty program and and, and her dealings and, and surely what will happen further with her character into, yeah, she can't be the only one, no, right? Yeah. She can't be the only one that that's broken oh, yeah. conditioning and is still working for and, the remnant. And even seeing, like you mentioned with Adelphi Squadron and, and Carson Tiva, like already there are s- splinter cells within the the New Republic itself. That's like, hey, we, right. like I know that there are there's a queue. Like I know there's a line, and you gotta you gotta uh, respect the line. But sometimes you have to be like, this is an immediate need and we need to go fucking do something about it. Even if the something is just like telling the other people like, hey, be aware, like, hey, heads up, like this is happening. This is coming down. Like, yeah, you know, so I think that they did a good job. I I think the other thing I liked is we, we went from two extreme ends of the political spectrum. We went from essentially fascism, imperialism to... What what we could describe as one of the most left leaning governments of all time. Yeah, I mean, Mon Mothma was so progressive. She's like, we don't need an army. Let's just get rid of all the war machines. That'll make things better. Let's let's be nice to the people that were blowing up planets with Death Stars, and let's try to bring them back into the fold and recondition them and and try to make them. Uh, you know, productive members of society again. So we we really got to see like if you're out on the on the far right or the far left, it's probably not going to work yeah. out. There there is like there is some compromise to where you kind of have to work towards the middle. Yeah, here. There, there is a middle ground. That's that the Star Wars galaxy for some reason over tens of thousands of years has just never come to. Because they've never found that. Yeah. Uh, well. <laughs> nor has humanity so we'll we'll, we'll keep going uh next one here and this is i I guess just kind of my love for Giancarlo esposito and his character moff gideon but i I loved gideon's new armor i loved his grand plans and the way he delivered them grandly 
And he, he really is just a, a great villain. He is a great villain. And that's why I believe that we were not seeing Gideon Prime. We were seeing one of his first clones. Yes, one that did not get the force. And he will be back. But but Nick, to me, Gideon, once again, even though he just had two episodes this season, still kind of made his presence felt and stood out as a just a great fleshed out star wars villain. yeah i mean he made the most of his screen time for sure um limited screen time um really made his presence felt and then also left kind of you know a lasting impression on the the mandalorian people for sure but also like like we've been kind of hinting at and teasing at and what we believe is going to be happening like we he's probably still around so i think that um with essentially what 40 minutes of screen time, if that, um, he, he really made stuff happen. So, oh yeah. Yeah. He, he left an impact even though he technically died. Um, but, but he definitely stood out. So I just had, I just had to give some love to our boy Gideon. All right. We're down to the last two and, and none of these were really in any particular order. So I'm going to go with Bo's redemption arc reuniting the clans and taking back Mandalore. I mean, we, 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 we've kind of highlighted Bo's journey throughout today's discussion, but it really was. I mean, season three really was, it, it was about Din and Grogu kind of getting back to their roots and, and getting, you know, back within the clan and, and Grogu going on his journey to become a Mandalorian. But it really was about Bo being redeemed and she was the one that needed redeemed. I and mean, if you think about all the bullshit she started on Mandalore and then losing the Darksaber to Gideon, as we learned, she got conned into that. And then failing in her second bid to get the Darksaber when Din retrieved it. So I really appreciated watching Katie's bow go through this season as, a, you know, an angry, lovely looking redheaded princess on a throne getting ready to, you know, shoot piss and vinegar at anyone that came in to a true all around embrace leader of Mandalorian. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it may have gone a little bit differently than we thought, because I think that we, we were probably thinking on it preseason three on a more grand scale. Um, but it played out in uh, a fantastic way. And I think it, it, I think a lot of it had to do with respect, which is something that Bo never really had, you know, and that's, that's kind of what led her down the path to death watch initially was that she didn't have respect for the rule, like the, the, the rule of law that was instituted under her, you know, under Satine's rule. Satine. And then after that, um, it was all about like, it has to be done my way. It's my way or the highway. And I think that after so many instances of failure, uh, Bo learned that it's not, it's not about her being right all the time. It's, uh, it's about her respecting the, 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 the beliefs of others. It's about her respecting the, the culture, uh, that other people of her same, uh, of her same, you know, clan had, had built. And I think that that went a long way to, to her becoming who we see at the end of the show, where it's not just like, where, you know, where she sees the, the Creed Mandos and is like, what is this bullshit? The, not, none of this under my watch, you know, like she's learned 
that respect for other people's culture, respect for other people's beliefs was an important part of, of being a true leader of, of a massive, uh, you know, gathering of people. So, yeah. And Nick, what they're going to be printing on bumper stickers, Mandalorians are stronger together. Yeah. 100%. Right? She learned that too. Okay. And their last moment for season three, it's getting a little sad. Goodbye, Mandalorian. <laughs> it's been real. Shit, it probably won't be till we'll be lucky if we get season four and 24, right. I think, at this right, point, right. especially with the strike. But the last moment here, Din officially, or Jaren officially <laughs> adopts Din Grogu and their narrative slate is clean. So listen, I know it's not Nick's cup of tea, but I, I love the Din and Grogu thing. Like they are that's that's the heart of the series for me and it's okay that they weren't the leads this season uh, they they still were the heart okay they might not have been the brain but they were still the heart so i just you know it was touching to see that we've now gone from this guy that took grogu on as a job gave him up thought about it took him back got him back to his people he came back and now they truly are a, an official family but more importantly like i said the narrative slate is clean so we don't have to worry about these quests anymore. He, he no longer has to worry about finding Jedi. He no longer has to worry about redeeming himself in the living waters. They can just get out there and start kicking ass and taking names again, which is going to be good for us fans because, A, we're going to see them kicking ass and taking names. But, B, through Din and Grogu, kind of like R2 and C-3PO, we are going to be exposed to more lore of what is happening during this time period in the galaxy. And that's exciting. Yeah. I think you, you made the perfect analogy there with, with R2 and uh, 3PO, you know, like uh, Din and Din, as they are now known, Din squared, they, they're the connective, <laughs> the Dins. <laughs> they're the connective tissue of this uh, part of the universe, you know, of, of the Mandoverse. And yeah. it's important for them to have that bond and now the bond is made official, even in the eyes of their own people. Um, and I did like, that's kind of why I was always pushing for it. Like Din, like Din Djarin cannot be the leader of Mandalore. Like he can't do no. it narratively because it wouldn't, because then he's stuck there. Like you can't be the leader of Mandalore and be, and also be a, a planet hopping <laughs> Uh, carouser that just runs around and you get to see all of these different aspects of the Star Wars universe through their eyes. Like if you are the leader of Mandalore, you have to be there leading people and then in, in governing. Um, and what they've done with him in, in Grogu was the perfect opportunity to both have them be truly Mandalorian, but also have them be truly independent of the needs of like a Mandalorian leader. So I think that the way that they handled it was was really well done and it sets up their adventures for seasons and seasons to come. So yeah, very happy with how that played out. Yeah, and that's that. There you go. SWTS's top moments for the Mandalorian season three. It's been real. It's a little sad. It is sad putting the Mando to bed. I do love that franchise. Um, you, you know, this season, it, it might have lacked some of the punch and excitement and reveals that we've come to expect, but I, I still think it was a a worthy season, worthwhile. It definitely moved the goalposts. I mean, no more bullshit to deal with. We can get right into what the fuck was the New Republic doing during this time? 
what was the remnant doing this during this time? What's Thrawn doing during this time? And how do all them mix together to produce the resistance in the first order by the time the sequel trilogy comes around? So that's good. I, I'd give season three probably about an eight out of ten if you if you wanted me to review it. Not my favorite but also still top-notch Star Wars lore being delivered. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I would agree with that rating. I think it's probably uh, like, a, like a solid 8, 8.5. I think, and I think what it does better than the other ones, and I think, you know, obviously this was intended, is it kind of closes the chapter. You know, like now we are truly right. on to like, the, like a new page a new even you could even say like a new uh book of the mandalorian uh seasons from here on out now you're exactly right and that's kind of what we were making that point last week we made with how this this season and the finale ended with that that circle fade that that is a thing in star wars that signals like this phase is completed like it's it's done so that that book is written I, I, do you think we'll go right in the chapter 25 or do you think they'll reset? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question because everything has been chapter oriented. I mean, I, I think it would be fitting if they restarted chapter, you know, or, you know, if they, if they had a different type of numbering system for yeah, Mando right. season four and forward. All right. Uh, guess we'll see. Yeah. I mean, like I said, hopefully in 2024, but I, with this strike happening, even if it was written, productions are all probably being delayed, stalled, paused at this point. So let's keep our fingers crossed. But sadly, we we may be looking at another damn near two-year jaunt before before we get pure Mando again. Pure Mando. Stand with the writers. For those of you out there who are like unsure of what you should do or how you should feel about this strike, uh... Here's the best way to put it. If it wasn't for the writers, you would have like all of the, all of your favorite shows wouldn't either wouldn't exist or would be way worse than what they are. So, um, all the writers are asking for is to respect their art and have them be paid fairly for it. So, uh, I mean, if you just heard what I said about shrinking, yeah, the best written series I think I've ever seen in terms of like, a, it's not even a sitcom. It's just, it's like a dramedy, if you will, a dramedy, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But that is that show, especially Nick, cause there's no special effects. There's no action. There's nothing to like kind of distract your brain. It is nothing but excellent writing. So the kids got a great point. Yeah. All right, let's kind of move things along. This next one, Nick, nothing really to, to spend too much time on so we can quickly get to the fan segment. But I, I thought it was funny that Damon Lindelof finally just came out and was like, yeah, I was I was in the fucking Star Wars universe and they asked me to leave. It's like Jesus. So all that speculation was true. He he really did pitch. He was brought on board. He turned in a script and they told him to go fucking pound sand. So that... It's pretty impressive that he he copped to it, yeah. and this was in a, an Esquire interview. Nick he said, essentially, you know, they asked him like, "Hey, did you ever, you know, get get close? Was all any of this true?" And he's like, "Listen, I was in more than talks to join the Star Wars universe. I joined the Star Wars universe and was asked yeah. to leave." It's I, like, ooh, I'm gonna ooh, say ooh, this. Ooh. His idea sucked. Like. Yeah, because it's starting to sound like this Jeff Snyder guy, because Nick's moving into the next part of this story. 
Jeff Snyder from the Hot Mike podcast has been the one that's kind of been breaking news on this for for months now. You know, Damon was attached, this other writer, uh, Charmino Bacinoy, you know, it's all kind of panned out. So what Nick is saying, apparently Damon's one of the reasons he was asked to fucking go work at the Sitgo was because he wanted to position a 60 year post Tross movie in which Ray and Nick, I, I don't know how much you read into this. They were thinking of Ray being played by a Helen Mirren type. I like mean, that's who they kind of had in mind. So, so that's where, that's where I'll just, let me read yeah. the setup and then we can go into yeah. it. So again, this come from Jeff Snyder. From what I understand, it was 60 years after the rise of Skywalker. Obviously that this changed a ton. Lindelof's was set 60 years down the line, but now we know that Daisy Ridley is coming back as Ray, so it's not going to be 60 years later. It'll be like 10 years later. What I heard was when it was the original idea, the original actor that came attached, everybody thinks that was Yaha Abdul Mateen II. It wasn't, and I actually got that confirmed recently. It was supposed to be an older Ray training two Jedi, a man and a woman. Both would have been people of color. Now, they didn't go out to this actress, but she was the comp. She was not offered, but she was on the casting list as ideally who we want, but it doesn't mean the prototype person is the person. But for older Ray, they were thinking of Helen Mirren. I'm going to come right out and say, this is a fucking terrible idea. Like, it's nothing to do about the story. It's, It's to do about the time jump. Like, you can't jump 60 years. No, that's fucking stupid. Like, the way that, like, you could say whatever you want about Tross... You have to respect it in terms of where it, it put the series. You cannot jump 60 years from that point and your story be, well, now she's training people. What the fuck happened? Like, there's an immediacy to the follow-up need to, 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 um, to Tross. She gets the books. She is, she is officially a Jedi. Boom. You are crowned Jedi from all of these spirits that just helped you overcome the greatest evil that the world has ever seen. And you want to jump technically not even a Jedi. Yeah, I mean like, yeah, she's not, she's whatever she is. Like she is the new prototype for force users and you want to (laughs) jump 60 years ahead of time. And your story is she's training two people. That's fucking dumb. Like, it's too much. It, it, yeah, it would be too much narrative to just happen off screen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can't. And, and what like, listen, some of you may be like, well, you know, Acolytes 80 years before Phantom Menace. Well, that we already know what's happening up in Phantom Menace. And that yeah, type like, of stuff. you know, so, everything that like, you know, that from when the Acolyte happens, there is you're going to cover story that's going to get you to. When fucking, uh, when TPM happens, like, you know, that you're filling in story gaps, what he's doing, what, what, uh, or what Lindelof would have done was you now have to fill in 60 years, a gap of what was Ray doing after she got these books. Why did it take her 60 years to start training people? What the fuck was going on between when she was 27 years old to when she's 87 years old? Like, it doesn't make sense in terms of like your follow up to the movie because then you put so much burden on everybody who has to fill that gap in. Like it just it it was a terrible idea from the jump and them asking him to leave 
at the point where they asked him to leave now good move like i, I like it, it, if i'm so glad that they didn't do this like well yeah i mean hey it, it makes sense because listen I, i'm a big fan of of lindelof i i really do think he is a a, a good writer he, he's created some good shows uh, and I was kind of shocked that they they told him to beat it, or, or that he literally turned in a script. And remember, Nick yeah. was like, "Oh yeah, he was gone two days later." Well, now we yeah, know now why. we know why. So. <laughs> like they literally were like, uh. "What? Like, did you see how the other movie ended? She just got the books. She just got the okay to like, hey, you are now the future of this of the Force user generation in this right. galaxy, and you want to wait sixty years to address that." Like, yeah. So, I mean, clearly a lot of that has probably been scrapped, if not all of it. You just don't know because they did keep the director. That's that's the crazy thing. Like the director stayed. The only person gone were the writing team and they brought in Stephen Knight to uh, to uh, to to finish the things out. So um, does this mean now? I mean, will Finn be involved? Nobody knows. No one knows like how much the original script is going to be maintained, but clearly they've already made a drastic shift and that's just in the timeline itself. It went from 60 years post to 15. Yeah. I mean, with Daisy coming back, like obviously you can now use an appropriately aged Ray and you don't have to completely recast the role. Um, and you can, you can now address the immediacy of what, what is happening in the galaxy. You know, like you now, like this is the first time in the, in the history that we've seen that we've seen in terms of like visual medium in star Wars, that the greatest threat to the galaxy is no longer in play. Palpatine he's gone. So you now have an open window for the growth and training of of new force users under this new style of training that, that Ray is going to implement. So I'm excited to see where they go with it. And I'm excited that they're not going to completely skip over the development of an entire generation of force users under Ray. So that's my thought on this. Yeah. Probably a good move, even though I like Damon, but yeah, now, now that this is coming out, the cat's out of the bag, probably a, uh, Good move by Lucasfilm there. Now, the best move would be just getting the fucking movie made so we can go to the movies and see a new Star Wars movie that isn't from 1983. Again, uh, this writer's strike is not going to help that happen. So hopefully this all ends quickly. (laughs) Not at all, considering he had the Stephen Knight had to come in and and, and rewrite most of it. So he's probably uh, taking a break currently. He's on the picket line. All right, so those are all the current topics we have for you today, which means it's time for the fan segment. That's right. We are the only Star Wars fan podcast that has a dedicated weekly fan segment. Get involved. Come one. Come all. It's easy. It's no pay to play. All you got to do is follow us or hell, we don't even care if you follow us. Just just look for the prompts on Instagram because that's our most active social platform. So at Star Wars Time Show on Instagram, you can get in involved with the question of the week as well as our top five Star Wars fan artist features. So to start, Nick, we always do the uh, the question of the week. So let me go ahead and get some screens switched up. We put the question up on Instagram at Star Wars Time Show. You just need to respond if you know what I'm saying. All right, so let's get rid of you. Bring up you. All right, so this week's question, and sadly, I'm going to have to get creative starting next week. 
because we're out of the, the easy ones here. But this week, the question put forth to Star Wars Time Show Nation, looking back at The Mandalorian Season 3, what was your favorite or least favorite moment? And I'll tell you, this one went nowhere, so I just kind of grabbed everything we got, Nick. I'll lead with the one story. You can rip through the comments. Mm-hmm. Okay, our boy Ripic underscore underscore Tan says Bo-Katan gracefully slashing and hacking the Gollum Grievous is still a standout for me. Master Ahmad Best and Zeb making appearances are some of my favorite moments and the Adelphi bass intro music was the banger track of S3. I agree on all fronts. Good sir. Good job. Next up is Mr. Ted five standing by. So his favorite part has to be the sheer amount of gratuitous live action Mando goodness. Hey, look, we talked about that too. Seeing so many Mandos on screen with all their different armors was like a wet dream. It was. They really did a good job of diversifying. Hey now, armor. buddy, what's what's Ted doing after he watches an episode of uh, Sounds like he's of the smoking a cigarette. <laughs> uh, Mansell472 says, for myself, my favorite parts of season three was seeing the rise of Bo-Katan from a worn-out, bitter, self-loathing ex-leader to the mighty warrior queen she was always meant to be. Being first to the rescue no matter who they are, she saved them, defended them, fought by their sides. She brought the broken factions together and then united them to free Mandalore. I really enjoyed her story as she has always been one of my favorites from Clone Wars to Rebels and now hopefully her own series. Hey, man, I'd be down for like a Mando, like like a true, like separate Mando series that kind of like follows the the reemergence of Mandalore into into. Oh, that'd be great, too. Or or, you know, the the Din and Bo show where they go out and solve crime on random planets to gain yeah. favor of the king and queen. Right. You know what Let's I mean? Do that. Let's have a whole yeah, r- real quick <laughs> shout out here to Mansell 472. He's become one of our strongest new supporters. Nick, this guy shouts out from the top of the roof every week about the SWTS. So kudos to you. We speak your name, Mr. Mike Mansell. We appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Panda Boca says, big fan of Paz Vizsla's story arc slash conclusion and seeing how the Mandos operated outside of battle. Paz turned out to be a real one. R.I.P. A.Z. There you go. I like that. Rip <laughs> yeah. Az. Rip Az. Not to be confused with Rip rip Ass, (laughs) which I need to do here soon. You know, real quick on Pandas, I, I too, really enjoyed how Mandos operate outside of battle. Remember, one of my top moments from the episode where they powwow in the cave to go fight the pirates, it's it's that type of stuff, those interactions. So, I agree, Panda. Okay. Oh, I'm going to grab the double It's a duo. It's a duo here. (laughs) We got the old toy pick. He says, definitely the best think was Grogu saving Mando and Bo in the end. Yes, the big fire save. And then uh, the Dar- uh, Darth Dondada says that's amazing finale. So yeah, the family. That's is. That's is. That's is. Uh, and then last up, we got 2797 Studios. He's in the chat right now. He says, Mando season three was a lot of fun. New locations and characters. Mandalorian lore. Mythosaurs. I can't say it weird because it, you, you say it like that, but it is definitely spelled wrong. Uh, clones. Yeah, he bungled the bungled the it's spelling, okay. but we got we got the intent. It's okay, we got <laughs> it, we got it back. 
Uh, clones and more, but my favorite moment happened after the season was over. Who else in the two percent? If you know, you know. Me and me. And then Ted Five standing by's got the eyes. Do you do you know what he's talking Is about? Is it something that I missed in like the like the like the credits or something? No, okay. no. Katie was doing a podcast last week where she was kind of ratioing how fans look at Bo Katan. She's like, listen. 70% of fans love Bo-Katan. 28% of fans hate Bo-Katan. And then she kept going through. It was really funny. You need to find yeah. it. It's been clipped many times. But then she ends with, and then 2% of fans, all they want to do is have Bo-Katan sit on their face. <laughs> so that's why I was like, I'm, I'm in the 2% there club. Yes, sir. I do know. Thank you, Bat. You uh, but yeah, Nick, you, you got to check it out. It's a great little clip from Katie. I have to find. I'm sure I can find it easily now that I know the context. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, it's all over the like. J- just do uh, Bo Katan two percent and guarantee you're you're gonna get more than a few bites on yeah, that one for sure. Budget. All right, so so thank you to those that participated in this week's question of the week. I mean, really, the best way to ensure you even see the prompt is go on Instagram and make sure you turn on notifications for Star Wars Time Show. Because I know, I know you all. It, it, you're not skipping out. It's not you. It's the AI hiding it from you. But if you do want to get involved, don't forget Instagram is where to get that done. All right, so now it's time to shift gears and move in to everyone's favorite part of the fan segment, and that is our top five Star Wars fan artist features. The way this works throughout the week, if you add tag Star Wars Time Show on Instagram and use hashtag Star Wars Time Show, me, myself, and I will look at all those tagged shots, and I will share them, feature them throughout the week. Then on Monday, Nick sits down with his drink of choice, and he picks his five favorite to be Oh my goodness, <laughs> the wheels are coming off. His five favorite to be discussed right now, right here on this little show. All right, kicking off the top five for this week is at a galaxy far, far, far away. And we have an awesome shot here of Mando verse Ahsoka with her two white lightsabers laying waste to some stormtroopers that are shooting at her from different angles. Um, I mean, this is probably something that we can look forward to seeing in the Ahsoka series. I know we've seen a lot of action in the trailers already. For definitely Ahsoka. fighting droids. We know yeah. that, right? She's definitely fighting droids. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is just a, a an awesome Ahsoka uh, action shot that, we, that we're all anxious to see happen in live action form very soon. And, and if you look closely, Nick, in a galaxy far, far away, I'm still not sure how they do this, but they do digitally manipulate the face to make it look even better than the already good looking black series Ahsoka face looks. Um, but, but he definitely tweaks that to make it look even more realistic Just and it shows centered and it shows she is centered in her, yeah. in her force abilities. Yes. So looking good at, or I'm sorry, at a galaxy far, far, far away on Instagram. Right. Next up is at, <laughs> Star Wars toy photos underscore 501. This is kind of a, a, a mini theme that I have going on uh, within this top five. I almost picked another one of a similar persuasion, but what we see here is three stormtroopers. They're, they're probably on uh, like watch break and one of them, they're all sitting on like a big uh, rock. One of them in the middle has a guitar and he's just strumming away some tunes. 
Uh, I always like seeing what stormtroopers do in their off time, you know, like, yeah, you know, they're not play, sit around the campfire, place, play some music on the guitar. Yeah, you know, they're not in, uh, in, in hunt Jedi mode all the time. They got to have some downtime activities. So it's, it's yeah, nice to see. Them. Yeah. Remember most of these fuckers were conscripted. It's not like they, they want to be there. So they're, they're, they're trying to make a best, the best of a bad situation, but I'm with you, man. I know the other shot you're talking about too. I think it's from a Chang smoker, yeah. but it's a it's like a rock show stormtrooper, yeah. and and I'm with you. Anytime we see uh, photography featuring stormtroopers doing regular daily life type of things, they're probably going to get talked about here on the Star Wars time show. We we like that Star Wars humor or stormtroopers in everyday life type of stuff. Indeed. So that. This one's at Star Wars Toy Photos underscore five zero one. And on a similar note to that, we move down to at Dad Fets. Well, I show. always love sad, sad battle. Sad B one is what we so have good. here. And man, I mean, again, this is kind of Star Wars outside of the battlefield that we're looking at here. So what we see here is a B one that is completely in the fetal position on a couch inside of a house. Fucking wrecked, man. Like, Just wrecked. emotionally wrecked. You can see. Uh, a, a bottle of alcohol on his table and others strewn about. Yeah, right. There, there's bongs down there, yeah. right? Like there, there's, he's got fucking pipes. He's got booze. I mean, this B1 is not having yeah. a Roger Roger is, type of day. He is self-medicating to the extreme. And hey, this is, <laughs> this is the reality of life after the battlefield, right? You come back yeah. home, you have to deal with the trauma of what, what you witnessed. And that even applies it, to it droids. It really is. I mean, just the emotions that this shot elicits from a droid, yeah. like Nick said, it's that that's why it's it's just it's a brilliant little setup from at Dad Fett. Just just awesome. I love and I think we've we featured some of his sad droid series before, but he truly above and beyond most other Star Wars toy photographers can somehow make Star Wars droids look extremely depressed and sad. Yeah. I mean, top quality work here at Dad Fett. Thank you for your service. Uh, next up at uncanny figures gives us an excellent shot of battle bow going into the fight versus the Imperial super commandos. We see her jetpack flying the dark saber ignited a, a beautiful dark sky behind her as she flies forward into battle. I mean, I don't know what else to say about the shot. It's clean. It's crisp. It's Bo Katan. It's, to it's uncanny figures, man. I mean, he's he's one of the best in the business when it comes to one six scale and in composite work. I mean, every time he does a shot, it it very rarely looks like a figure, and it very rarely looks like a picture of a figure. It looks like promotional material you would get from Lucasfilm. Yeah, you know, something in Star Wars Insider, you know, the concept art, whatever. It's always top notch. In fact. I think we also, just on our regular features, featured one where he remade the Bo-Katan poster from season three using the figure. Yeah. And again, it looks like an official piece of Mandalorian marketing from Lucasfilm. Right. Beautiful stuff. At Uncanny Figures on Instagram. Make sure to follow. And the final entry into our top five this week comes from S2O Figures on Instagram. And... It's a it's a scene recreation. It's a scene recreation of the iconic save from little baby Grogu himself. It's the moment where Daddy Din Djarin's in the back. You got 
maybe auntie, maybe maybe it's Aunt Bo, right? Aunt Bo Katan, right next to him. Yeah, for, yeah. For now, considering they 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 left each other after retaking Mandalore together and didn't even yeah. say goodbye, so I, I don't think there's any any feelings yet outside of just him being her protector. Yeah, so it's it's or her knight, her knight. Not that she needs protection. Exactly. Daddy Din, Auntie Bo. And then baby Grogu there throwing up his force wall to protect them all from being burned to death at the hands of the crashing light cruiser coming in. Uh, it was uh, just yeah. a fantastic scene recreation here from S2O figures. That's right. Quality stuff there. Once again, we always love seeing what you all put out. So don't forget on Instagram, add tag Star Wars Time Show and then use hashtag Star Wars Time Show. Right. Well, that is the end of the top five. And that's the end of our show for this week. So, Matt, close us out. That'll do it. I got to start hitting all my buttons to get this thing ready to to shut down. There we go. I think I'm at least at a point, Nick, where I'm not going to have to hit... Always, always, always to get to the right end bumper, end bumper bump. But as Nick said, it is time for 262 to go to bed. So what we need you to do is to just keep beating that Star Wars time drum. Beat it like like the Mandos did at the foundling ceremony. Do, 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 Star Wars time show. You must listen to it. Even if you don't like Star Wars. Or the two white guys doing it. How about that? You like that? That's our new That's our new jingle. Uh, but in all reality, we, we love you. Those that come and play with us on the live stream, we appreciate you. We like the, uh, the comments and all that fun stuff. But let's keep it going. Let's build this audience back up. We're in, we're in another rush right now. I don't know why. We kind of dipped during Mandalorian, but here towards the tail end, our listens have uh, nearly doubled again. So if you are new and you're listening, you dig this type of stuff, Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube if you're not already subbed up. And also don't forget, if you are on a a podcast platform, to give us a rating and review if they allow that. Because that, that, that goes a long way for us when it comes to the AI overlords that are legitimately out there right now dictating what type of content you other meatbags should be looking at. So don't forget, there's always time for Star Wars Time. Send the noobs over to StarWarsTime.net. They can find all the links there. They can get subbed up to the traditional podcast platforms as well as YouTube. And you never know. You may even find some other content up there, like our story on Old Ray and and Damon getting the boot. Just don't forget. There's always time for Star Wars Time. StarWarsTime.net. Um, we'll be catching you next week. I, I, Nick may or may not be here, and we may or may not have an interview with someone from Jazzwares. Uh, so who knows? It, it, it's kind of wide open next week. But one thing I do want to tease you all with, as long as the planning gods allow it, we finally settled on a date for the Star Wars time show, Star Wars D&D E1, S1 E1, because hopefully there's more episodes and more seasons s1e1 of our dnd special we haven't talked about it for a while we we had our our episode zero back in march to kind of get the feel for the game learn from our dungeon master nick you know jared sir dork uh we have trevor one six shooter myself will be the players so we're hoping to do this next week on the 11th all right I've I've circled the wagons. The other players know the time. They've agreed. Not they know the day. 
we just need to figure out a time and get that out to everybody. But we are hoping to do our first public-facing Star Wars time show, Star Wars D&D extravaganza next week on the 11th. So uh, tune in. It, it's going to be something completely different than what you get from us on a weekly basis on the live stream. Uh, you're not going to have all the graphics. You're not going to have Matt bitching and moaning. You're going to uh, get us kind of having fun, telling a story. It's Nick's story. We are the characters, and we're going to try to bumble fuck our way through it, rolling those dies. So, um, you know, barring a, 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 a last-minute schedule change, you could be getting two live episodes of the SWTS next week. So strap in, get those tips ready. It's time to take off. All right, my friends, don't forget, as we always leave you, just remember, there's always time for Star Wars time. And if you listen to the Star Wars time show, the Force will be with you always. Always.